It's my AJ and I are going to be hosting going forward, and we're actually thinking about doing some auditions. AJ and I have to talk about this more because I know she's over there going, "What?" First, I've heard of it. Uh, <laughs> to maybe bring in a third person. <laughs> what was that? No, no. You just kind of went sideways and cutting out. I'm not sure what happened there. Uh, I was saying I just I read the show notes. We're good. Okay. Cool. <laughs> um, but at any rate, though, if you're keen to be on the radio, drop me a line at gotme.gotme.com, and AJ and I uh, can talk with you and explore possibilities. So, you know, something to think about. Moving on into the show, this week's show is going to be kind of tight. We're going to um, probably not go as long as we used to, partly because I'm still tweaking and adding bits and doing a little fine-tuning and redesigning of the show structure, and AJ and I still have to sit down and work out the rest of that. We haven't had as much time as we wanted to do that, but um, we do have uh, some shout-outs and our new welcome. AJ, I hand it over to you. A friend, Chris from Miss, last week, so we just were wishing you all the best, and get and my computer is being stupid and not letting me see the, uh, I hate computers, Vicky. <laughs> I can't get the, uh, I made the mistake of scrolling, I'm so it's all my fault. Oh, no, yeah, I don't know, you're, you're cutting it in and out sure. a little, too, I don't know if that's our connection or what. The show notes are being stupid, so okay. please hold. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Want me to oh, pick up? On. Please. Okay. All right. So the show is going to be where you can meet pretty much all kinds of people that impact mead, not just meadery owners or mead makers, but honey providers and um, beekeepers and people at universities that are teaching fermentation classes. And we're really kind of hoping to get Charlie Papazian and working on that. So that's one of the other things. So people who maybe even aren't in the industry proper, but have had an influence on it. So I've got a lot of ideas and a running list. If you can think of somebody that I haven't already, I would love to hear about it. You can email me at gotmelive at gotme.com about that. But um, we're hoping that it'll always be a party here at Got Mead Live. And um, there's me, Vicki, owner of Got Mead, and A.J. Ermans, the longtime winemaker, beer brewer extraordinaire, mead maker, and keeper of toothless rabbits. <laughs> Just one of them. <laughs> yes, but he may grow on you and you may end up getting another toothless rabbit because they're just that cool. <laughs> well, actually they are because, you know, they can't chew on your stuff. There's that. I it, hadn't thought of that. I mean, yeah, you have to cut up their food for them, but um, it, it's actually more of a bonus than anything. <laughs> <laughs> so tonight's guests uh, are going to be, we've actually got double trouble or double pleasure, depending on how you look at it tonight. Uh, we have Blair Housley, who's owner of Etowah Meadery, hope I said that right, Blair, in North Georgia. They're not open yet, but they will be hopefully soon. And he's doing some really interesting stuff with Melamels that I think you guys will want to hear about. I know I uh, pricked my ears up when he gave me his backstory stuff, and I was just like, you're doing what? With which? So uh, I think there's going to be some interesting stuff there. And we're bringing back Frank Goldbeck and um, got to scroll down because I can't remember the name of his <laughs> of the of his um uh, Okay, and Chris Herr, thank you, and sorry, Chris. Um, Frank Goldbeck and Chris Herr from Gold Coast Meadery 
who are going to come on and not talk about the meadery this time. They're going to talk about the secrets of sour mead, how they make it, where they got the ideas, what's working and not working, and they're going to entertain your questions. We do have still uh, live call-ins, and uh, please bear with us when we're doing that because uh, we're still working out details on all of that, too. The new call-in number is 803-443-MEAD. That's 803-443-6323. And you can call into the show. It'll probably be a little bit of fumbling and clicking about while we bring you in because I haven't got all the um, I haven't got all the recorded cutaways yet, so we can do that as smoothly as I'd like, but we'll get there. So, but there's the number, and uh, we'll let you know when uh, we start taking calls, and then we can bring you in, and you can ask your questions. So we hope to hear from some of you guys tonight, and, you know, get some good stuff going there and make these guys work for it. So, um, what are we drinking? I actually went, I know I said I wasn't going to drink meat, AJ, but I, I, I yeah, ran into the kitchen and I, and I opened up the beer fridge and I was like, what do I have that's open? And there was a bottle that said Redstone Meadery um, Sunshine Nectar, but it's cherry mead, so I'm pretty sure it's not Sunshine Nectar. And I think it's one of my last remaining bottles of my cherry melomel that I made like 15 years ago and it's amazing I'm like it's a half a bottle it should be all oxidized and crappy and it's really good so I'm stunned and now I've got to see if I took good notes so I could do it again (laughs) (laughs) this is why you always always want to take good notes so that if something turns out absolutely stellar you know what the heck it was you did so you can do it again right uh, tonight, tonight, what I'm drinking is the rest of the bottle of my friend Dave P's modified JAO, which he made with a uh, beer yeast, which I have written down somewhere else, and I can't remember which one. I actually stumbled across my um, side side note here. Uh, we were cleaning out crap in the kitchen, just like excess stuff that needed to go, and we uncovered a pile of books, and in there was my original recipe journal that. I started way back when I first got into meat. Some of my very first recipes are in there, including the one that was the uh, Rocket Fuel 23 Herbs and Spices mead that was horrendous for three years and then magically turned into Nectar of the Gods that was unbelievably good. So I may go back and try that one again, <laughs> only this time with better fermentation techniques. But um, it was cool to find it because I had thought I'd lost it, you know, that it had gone missing somehow. So that was kind of neat to stumble across that. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. Um, For the show links, guys, um, listen live on the Got Mead website. You should be able to listen live now. Please tweet me if you can't, and I'll try to fix it, although I don't know how much I can do while we're going. Just be uh, sure that we are recording, so if, God forbid, the live dies, we do have a tape, and we'll be able to upload that. Um, take us with you. You can download the the uh, apps for TuneIn or SoundCloud from the iOS and Android stores, and you can play the show wherever you go. We are currently getting reset on t- uh, iTunes, so bear with us. I should have a new iTunes set up in the next week or so, and then as soon as I have that, I'll re-upload all the episodes, so we'll be back online there. And, um, <clears throat> excuse me, we are also, now we are broadcasting via a company called Spreaker, S-P-R-E-A-K-E-R, and uh, that is what our feeds, live feeds are coming from, and the entire show is there as well. And, um, of course, all the feeds, uh, or all the shows are also on the website. So, lots of places you can get the show and download it, and save it for your very own. Um 
You can get us uh, at Facebook. Uh, it is uh, facebook.com slash gotmead. Plus, if you search the Gotmead group, you'll find our group as well. And that's where we just have a lot of chatter like we do in the forum about mead and what's going on in the industry and, you know, about things about making it. Uh, uh, Twitter, you can tweet us at gotmead now. Uh, if you can't call in, the best way to get us during the show is via a tweet. And be, pa- be patient because I'm juggling the recording. Um, and all the levels and talking with AJ and tweeting at the same time. So I'm good, but I'm going to be stretched <laughs> quite a bit. So <laughs> as far as, yeah, I'm good at juggling, but I'm kind of hitting my limits here. Um, anyway, uh, the calling number is, again, not in this part of the thing. Uh, <laughs> calling number is 803-443-6323. Save that. You may need it. Ask Oscar. We're kind of on hiatus with him at the moment. He's in the midst of doing the Mazer Cup. So he's a very busy dude right now. And you can't even get him on text, much less get him on the show. So I did ask. And he kind of laughed at me. So um, not surprisingly. And mm-hmm. <laughs> but uh, we will have him back in future shows. I've already talked to him, and he said he'd love to come back. I'm hoping to get him involved in a panel conversation with several high-end mead makers so that we can get some really good fermentation conversation going on. So that'll be pretty good. And um, let me see. Our first guest is going to be Blair uh, Blair from Etowah Meadery. So I'm going to go ahead and uh, do a little plug for them. In fact, uh, AJ, if you want to do the plug for them, I'll go ahead and plug his phone number in and get him on the phone. And that will say that's one less thing that I have to do. Yeah. (laughs) We'll get this recorded next week, I promise. But, you know. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. For this week, we're just winging it. Yeah, yeah. And I I don't know. We'll we'll do okay. All right. So just let me know when you want me to start. Yeah. Okay. Hang on. I got to figure out how to add a phone call here. Oh, there we go. Add participants. There we go. Show the dial pad. All right. Go for it. Oh, God. Can you hear that? (laughs) Yeah. Oh, shit. Yeah, sorry. I'll have to fix that. I thought I'd turn those sounds off. (laughs) Oops. (laughs) Oops. That wasn't supposed to happen. Shoot. <laughs> Growing pains. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. Laugh at me now. Ah! Now I can't get it to to, to blank them out. Seriously? All right. Uh, All right, you sort that out. Uh, yeah, I'm sorting. You go ahead. Go ahead and uh, keep people busy. <laughs> Make okay. us look busy there, AJ. <laughs> right, look busy. Etowah Meadery, wine made from honey called mead. We take local honey and make a unique alcohol beverage from it. Like the local ancient name Etowah, our honey wine is truly a gift from the ancient ones. We have supported local bee and fruit farmers since day one. We strive to work with as many local farms as possible. Shop local, support local. Etowah Meadery is located right in the wine tasting capital of Georgia, Dallanaga. Check them out yeah. Facebook. Dalanega, okay, I got that right. Sorry, guys. Check them out at facebook.com slash Meadery, and that's spelled E-T-O-W-A-H, Meadery. Yeah, there. Right. I'm looking forward sorted? to seeing, yeah, I think I got my stuff sorted. I'm just uh, 
pulling up the... I'm sure people are out there just laughing their asses off at us right now, but hey, you know, deal with it. Yeah. We're juggling as fast as we can. Okay, so we're calling Blair now, and we're going to... get him into the call. The DJ me is just cringing at the dead air. <laughs> how you doing? Hey, Blair, how you doing? This is Vicky and AJ. <laughs> I'm doing pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> cool. Welcome to Got Me Live. Hi, Blair. This is great. So, the first question we have to ask you, Blair, is what are you drinking? <laughs> well, tonight I decided to uh, break out my Mayha mead from 2014. So, I thought that would be a good appropriate since it's won uh, several medals and uh, it's been aged for a couple of years. I thought that would be a good thing to start with. Sounds good. I'm not even yeah. sure I know what a Mayha tastes like. I've got kind of a vague idea of what they are because they don't really grow where I live. But um, so let me let me do your little intro here, and we'll we'll start digging into all these. Really, you've got some awesome melomels, and I'm very intrigued. So, um, <clears throat> excuse me. Um, okay, so guys, for those of you who don't know Blair, he started home brewing back in 2012. So he's actually kind of new to this, but he won his first medal that very same year for a double IPA. And after a bunch more beer medals, won a medal for a fig mead in 2014. Where'd you get that? Where'd you win the medal at? I'm just curious. Uh, one of the, the first ones on the pick was out here in uh, in Georgia. Is the uh, Peach State uh, brew off that I have? Okay. So that one year, I actually won a fig mead and a beer mead at the, the same entry. So that sort of piqued my interest. Like, well, I can do both. <laughs> yeah. Well, and then I see that you say that you started making more meads and less beers because this is a very addictive hobby. <laughs> and and totally yeah. switched to mead actually back last year. So 21 medals for beers and meads. I'm impressed. Congratulations. It's pretty cool. Um, Thank you. And um, so, all right. Yeah, I mean, with you being kind of newish to all of this, what... You know, what got you, I mean, I'm, I'm assuming there was a whole lot of your friends going, dude, this is really good. You should sell this <laughs> happening. But what made you decide to jump into going pro so soon? I mean, not that it's a bad thing, but well, it's kind of unusual, you know. Uh, it's it's all about passion and recipe development. Uh, I actually tried to make wine when I was about 11 years old, and, of course, everything blew up on me. But <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know about the, mm-hmm. the proper yeast usage and uh, temperature control back then, obviously, with a lot of information. But I actually went to the local grocery store in Dahlonega, Georgia, bought grapes, crushed them up, threw them in a, uh, a bucket, and threw some bread yeast in it and tried to bake wine back then. So I've always had at least a, a somewhat of a passion for that. And I, I got to drinking more wine when I spent a year in Sicily in the military. But when I got back, I just I never was really a, a big fan of beer uh, until I tasted craft beer. And it's like, okay, you know, this is great. Uh, and then when I started making some, my buddy said, oh, this is good beer, it's good beer. And it's like, yeah, 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 right. You know, he always think, well, my buddies are just saying that because we're getting free beer. 
but it's like uh, I had a friend from work that said, hey, why don't you enter a beer contest and have it judged? I said, there's beer contest? So it's like, okay, I'll enter one and just get some feedback. That's the only thing I was actually looking for was just to get some feedback and was this actually a good beer? And lo and behold, I won a bronze medal that year. It's like, okay, this is this is pretty cool. Not so bad, uh, right I just kept going game. and one of the uh, – yeah. And one of, one of my uh, uh, brew friends said, hey, I'm going to make a mead. It's like, great, what's a mead? <laughs> and so uh, they told me how hard it was going to be and, you know, how terrible that a lot of mead makers, you know, that tastes like cardboard and stuff like that. And so it's like, you know, I love a good challenge. I think I'll try it. So that year I made three meads. I made a peach mead, a ginger mead, and a fig mead. And, uh, of course, the ginger mead was way too much ginger, but the the fig and peach turned out pretty good. I only submitted the uh, the fig mead, and it won a bronze medal uh, that year. So I was like, you know, maybe I can actually, you know, do a pretty good job at this. That's pretty cool. Yeah, I was I was reading all the information you gave me, and you totally had me at pawpaw. I have been... <laughs> I, I've never had a pawpaw. I grew up in Michigan. Now I live in North Carolina. And I've heard about pawpaws. I've heard them described. And, like, one of my bucket list things is to actually eat a pawpaw. It's, it's sad, isn't it? Um, but yeah, I've always <laughs> well, wanted... You know, those of us who are a little bit farther north, it's just the way it is. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, you kind of had me at pawpaw. So I, I'm curious about what made you choose the fruits you chose? Well, pawpaw, you know, is uh, is actually the only North American uh, native tropical fruit. Uh, and my wife got me uh, thinking about doing pawpaws. And it's like, you know, we, I need to find a good source of pawpaws. Uh, and I, I went up, I, I looked on the Internet, found that there was actually a, uh, a pawpaw festival, believe it or not, up in Ohio. So I drove all the way up to Ohio. We spent a weekend up there learning about pawpaws, talking to the local uh colleges and just enjoying the festival, brought actually some trees home, set them out on my property, and was showing my sister, like, this is the fruit, because we brought fruit home, this is the fruit, this is the tree, she says, oh yeah, I see that every day when I go running down the, by the creek, it's like, what? <laughs> and so uh, she showed me where they were at, and uh, so it was like, okay, so they're on our property and our neighbor's property down, uh, down along the, the stream bed, and it looks like those trees down there have been around for a long time, but a lot of people will see them, you know, and maybe not know what they are. Uh, the funny thing is, is that they're ugly to look at, and uh, you can't eat the skin because it's very bitter, uh, and the skins are, are, I mean, the seeds are also uh, bitter as well, so it's really, it's just the uh, the pulp, if you will, that comes out of the pawpaw. And of course, the, I remember the old nursery rhyme growing up, you know, picking up pawpaws, putting them in a basket. Uh, and if you're in your 40s or 50s or 60s, you might remember that, uh, at least in the, uh, the American tale. So yeah. once you tasted them, it's like, it's just like a mango banana. And I found out in Ohio, it's like, there's just not hmm. one variety of pawpaw. There's several varieties, just like there's several varieties of apples or peaches. That's neat. I did not know that. Mm-hmm. So I just decided, well, let's try to get some. So I brought, brought all the, the, I brought trees home. I brought the actual pawpaw fruit home, and I brought home uh, five gallons of pulp that the uh, the local, I guess you'd say, farmer up there, uh, de-seeded and de-skinned for me and put it in a bucket and froze it. And I brought it back with me and uh, made my first pawpaw meat. And 
um, I've won a few awards with it, so I've got more in the freezer, and I'm ready to start making a little bit more. So the pawpaws, they're only good. They're actually, you know, if you think about an apple, you pick an apple off a tree, you know, when it's ripe, it's pretty good. But pawpaws literally have to fall off the tree or are ready to fall off a tree before they're ripe. And they're so fragile that within two to three days, if you don't put them in the refrigerator, they'll go bad. And even in the refrigerator, after seven days, you know, you have to do something with them. But they're very uh, fibrous kind of fruit. So you have to kind of deal with, okay, if I put the, the fruit in here, how am I going to, you know, filter out all the fibers and stuff like that when it's done? So good filtering techniques I've learned over the years has been uh, a number one has helped me get to the final meats that I've been looking for. Interesting. And it sounds like it's got a texture not unlike a mango then. Yeah, if you I mean I, I love mangoes. I've actually made a mango mead, uh but I haven't you know, I haven't given that thing but it's been kind of personal. Uh so a mango mead and a banana mead if you if you could think that you would just chop those up and put them together and eat them, that's pretty much what a pawpaw, a good pawpaw tastes like. Okay. Hmm. That's well, I guess that one's going on my bucket list, too. <laughs> <laughs> so, I'm starting to see more of the pawpaws on the forums nowadays, so I know that uh, I'm not the only one doing this, but uh, it seems like at least there's a handful of us in the forefront of using this you know, Native American fruit. Yeah, I, well, I know John Talkington is um, Brimminghorn Mead. He's... Uh, playing with pawpaws. Right. In fact, I think he was posting some pictures of a pawpaw batch, and it was like really, I was really jealous uh, <laughs> just the other day. So um, I'm hoping, you know, if I if I like take a trip up to Delaware, then maybe he'll like have a bottle that I can try a glass of. That would be really cool. But <laughs> but yeah, it's it's one of the things that I've been wanting to try for a long time, just because I've never had it. And it sounds so interesting, you know. Yeah, it's a very, it's very good, very good, pleasant, and uh, like I said, if you could think of a, a very good banana, a very good mango, you mix those together uh, as a uh, the fruit, then you you got it. Dang, <laughs> that's really cool. <laughs> so we're, yeah, I mean, we're into melomels around here. I know this is one of my favorite styles, but. Um, why all? I, I, it looked like you had for your rollout for origin, you know, your original rollout when you go live, that you're thinking all melomels to start out with. And I'm curious, why all melomels? Just wondering. Well, uh, I like fruit. Uh, it gives me a, a good base because. You know, I've never made anything just with uh, just with honey, as far as for traditional is concerned, mm-hmm. until just lately. Okay. And so, uh, some of the books, obviously, that I looked at, it's like, well, the fruit will help hide your uh, flaws. <laughs> <laughs> so, being new to it, it's like, you know, I was like, ah, maybe I need to hide some flaws while I make this and learn learn the techniques. And uh, little and behold, it's like, well, these are actually turned out pretty good. Maybe I do need to try a traditional. So that's pretty much what I have. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've done some bases in the past, and uh, what I'm fermenting now is uh, is one of the bases is an orange blossom special, and then a uh, blueberry blossom that I got out of uh, Washington State. Okay. So that's why I did a lot of fruits. And, I, you know, I, got, I, uh, I have figs in my backyard. I have figs on my property, so that was one of the things I picked. And then talking about 
you know, the the pawpaws, that was just something that intrigued me. Uh, and then, of course, with the mayhaw, the mayhaw is like, I don't know, that's kind of bitter. It's like, well, that's really kind of what you need to offset the honey. So I found a supplier out of Louisiana that would give me mayhaw juice. You know, mayhaw, I've eaten the jelly before. A lot of people are kind of like, okay, in the South, we know what mayhaw jelly is, but we didn't, we've never thought about mayhaw mead. And yeah. when I made that mayhaw mead, it was like, oh my goodness, this is just so good. You know, it's like, so I've won, you know, several awards with that. I think I won maybe three or four last year just with the mayhaw. Nice. And and for those who aren't oh. familiar with the mayhaw, tell us a little bit about that particular fruit. Uh, mayhaw is basically a, a, a small apple. It's really as part of the apple family and part of the rose family if you go further back from the chain. Uh, so it's it's a swamp apple, some call it a thorn apple. Uh, the the native mayhaw bushes, if you will, grow in swampy areas where the roots stay wet, and there's there's a lot of uh, production or how they actually get to the berries uh, the, or the small apples, if you will. They'll actually take boats out into the swamp area with uh, large bed sheets, and they'll they'll <laughs> actually shake the bush to get the uh, the little small apples to to fall. And so it's a, mm-hmm. it's a very hard fruit to get. And you don't get a lot of juice from them. So when I can get, you know, five or ten gallons of actual juice itself, 100% juice, I'll take it any time I can find it. So uh, I have have, uh, come over the last several years to make good contact with some people in uh, Louisiana. I'm I'm hoping to find some people in South Georgia because there actually is a couple of Mayhaw festivals uh, that are in Georgia and Louisiana and even Arkansas, believe it or not. So uh, I'd love to find somebody locally that I could use in Georgia, but currently my uh, my main supplier is out of uh, Louisiana. <laughs> okay, I think I've heard Chris from Mississippi talk about Mayhaws that uh, they're they're around about his area because he's, he's he lives in one of the swampier areas in Mississippi. So I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah, mm-hmm. they slowly co- started cultivating them and tried to make them uh, where they were actually growing just dry land, but I don't think the taste is as uh, good or, if you will, as bitter uh, as some of the original swamp apples, if you will. Okay. Trying to figure so out. Some of the right. that, so, you know, uh, yeah, better, uh, yeah. Go ahead. Some of the things that, as far as uh, the Etowah eatery that you know, I'm trying to do. So I want to use some uh, local fruits. Obviously, you know, Georgia's known for uh, the peach state, but believe it or not, I think last year the the actual blueberry production outgrew the peach production. So we're starting to be the blueberry state. So I've uh, I've worked with uh, uh, blueberries before. So uh, I try to do traditional fruits that's uh, known to our area. Uh, as well as trying to figure out some, maybe not as exotic as some of the uh, other fruits, like dragon fruit. I love dragon fruit when I was in Hawaii, but you know, it's like I don't know if I want to pay for the dragon fruit from Hawaii to come over to Georgia just so I can make <laughs> meat of them, at least at this point. Yeah, really. <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure they have enough taste on their own to really warrant the meat anyways. I've, I've worked with dragon fruit a little bit, and I, I don't find it's got enough taste that you'd really even know it was there if you put it in a mead. I don't know that I've ever actually had a plain dragon fruit anything. I've had dragon fruit in things, you know, but 
Well, some of the best dragon fruit I had, obviously, was in Hawaii itself. And to me, it tasted just like a perfectly ripe strawberry and kiwi combined. And uh, every day I could get mm. that while I was over there. I was like, i got to have my dragon fruit today. It was just like an obsession. Okay, maybe they taste a lot better there than they do by the time they've gotten up here to Canada. <laughs> Yeah, there, there. You can find some. I can, I can find dragon fruit here in Georgia that comes out of Florida. Uh, it is nowhere near to what the dragon fruit that I got when I was in Hawaii. But I will make it one day. <laughs> okay. So you did some apprenticing at uh, Colony and Moonlight. Um, how, how did, how did you end up getting that a kind of opportunity? Well, I, you know, on the different uh, meat forums, uh, I had posted basically. I was just, I wanted to experience everything. Has taught me about businesses. It's like okay, you need to actually work in the business as long as you can before you start. And that's what a lot of people are doing. It's like I have, I didn't, I couldn't really just quit my job and then go work in the meatery because there's not really that many in Georgia, <laughs> zero. So. Uh, I was like, mm-hmm. okay, I gotta post something. So I posted something on the forums, like willing to, uh, you know, the wash the fermenters and you know, clean bottles or whatever it takes, you know, for a dollar an hour just to get the experience. You know, because you know, no one really works mm-hmm. for free, even though I wouldn't gonna charge anybody. And I just sent the message out there. It's like, you know, I'm, I'm willing to come to wherever you're at. Just let me know. So I had scheduled to, just to do that, and I had you know a couple of bites and. Uh, uh, you know, I was very fortunate to have uh, two, you know, meteries say, "Hey, just come, you know, come work with us." And so we worked out schedules of when I could actually show up and how long I'd be there. And so the colony meteory, I went up there. It was a, it was a good experience. Uh, I realized that uh, you know they had only been open, I think, about eighteen months when I got there. So. Hmm. Uh, it was like, okay, so this is what it's going to look like, you know, after I open, after about a year and a half. And uh, both Mike and Greg welcomed me, welcomed me and I took uh, my draft, uh, you know, business plan, and they looked at it, and they said, oh, you're starting way too small. I was like, well, maybe I can sell, you know, 50 cases a year. It's like, no, you need to add a zero to that at least, you know, maybe a 1,000 cases mm-hmm. after about a year and a half so like okay so i changed my model but learning how they you know made their meat and did their pump overs and the different fermenters that they were using and how they were handling their tap rooms that was just it was very uh, uh eye-opening and, and it's like okay it's like okay i can do this and so then i followed up about a month and a half later and uh you know went up to uh, moonlight and just you know after michael took me in and I told him pretty much what my experience was and got to working with him and just sitting here running this bottling line and, you know, filling up bottles and <laughs> scrubbing tanks and stuff. It's like, that's probably the hardest that I had worked, you know, besides in my own shop. So he he got some good labor out of me, but I got a ton of experience out of it and I wouldn't trade it for nothing. But just seeing how he was after, you know, five or six years in the business and uh, his production uh, level and schedule is like, okay, so this is what I can plan for in about five or six years. So it, it really gave me an insight That's into awesome. the industry on both ends of the spectrum of how I can actually change now my model to meet something that's actually successful on both ends and save me a ton of time and money when I open. And that's sort of why I'm pretty confident when it's like, okay, I've only been making me for a few years. Can I actually do this? And it's like, 
okay, I have some industry experience. I think I can do this. And I worked in the facility on both ends of the of the timetable as far as a startup. So uh, I feel confident mm-hmm. going forward that, yeah, I'll still make mistakes, but I won't make as many as I would have if I hadn't went. <laughs> Yeah, that that's just that's priceless. So for the honey that you're using, are you using are you trying to stay local or are you uh going with whatever you can find? As far as honey? Yeah, for honey, are you going local or are you going with whatever you can find wherever it comes from? Well, I've uh, been in, I've been working with a local hump, uh, honey company called Georgia Honey Farm, uh, and I picked them up there. They actually supply local honey, and they supply locally to the Costco's down here. Costco's a wholesale company, and so that's how I, I met uh, the owner of uh, Georgia Honey Farm. And so I've made a contract with him, uh, most, uh, mostly verbal at this point. We're about to sign a, a contract to actually lease. A lot of uh, the hives that he has, I think he has close to 3,000 hives at this point. So he's going to supply me at least with a, a minimum of uh, probably 40 to 50% of my honey. I've, I've worked with him for several years as far as wildflower and gallberry honey, which has been two of my primary honeys that I've used in most of my meads. And so that'll be the basis of a lot of my uh, meads. Uh, I've also been uh, working lately, like I said, with the you know, with the orange blossom and the blueberry blossom, and I do love that. And I just got back from uh, the, you know, the little Vance meat making that they had at the UC Davis. And uh, just seeing some of the different honeys out there, I definitely want to work with uh, the Melophone and a few, few other honeys that I'm going to be ordering. That I've had a, I've had recipes in mind, but then I want to create. It's like, well, how do I create create these it's like so once i've tasted a lot of their honeys we did a little honey tasting out there uh anna took us to i think we've tasted maybe 30 different honeys out there it's like there's one or two out there it's like okay i can get the, the flavor profile that i'm looking for you know with this particular type of honey that i can't get in the south but uh, i'll definitely will add that as uh, traditionals and with a few other mixtures like uh, chocolates that i've been working on and the coffee uh, style meads and of course being in the south mm-hmm. you got to drink tea so i'll have a couple of uh, sweet tea meads and uh, uh, lemon lime style meads as well but uh, local honey and local fruit the the area or the shop or the place that i'm looking at leasing is a small town called Dahlonega, georgia it's a indian word uh, Delaga was actually the first uh, gold rush well before California by 11 years. But in that town, I'm just I'm in uh, the next block to where the farmer's market is, where everybody comes in. So I'm hoping to try to make more contact with local farmers to uh, buy their, their fruits as they come in. Uh, I've worked with whole fruits. Mm. I'm not a big fan of whole fruits, uh, but I'm not a fan of any of the rest of them either. So I'm trying to find a combination between whole fruit juice and uh, you know the purees that I've used so I've worked with all three I like the benefits of the different ones so there'll be some meats that I make with just pure juice like I do with the the Meha and there'll be some that I use with purees and some that I'll actually grow myself besides at the farmer's market and actually put in the, the meat itself okay so you're doing a peach with black currant yeah 
Uh, That's an <laughs> interesting combination. And, uh, you know, I, uh, it's a black fuzzy peach. <laughs> I just black pulled it out not too long ago. It's actually tasted pretty good. Uh, so uh, at the same time, I was making a uh, blackberry and a raspberry, and I put uh, the two different ones. Uh, I had gotten some uh, two 25-gallon whiskey barrels from a local craft distillery that just started up and uh, bought two mm-hmm. barrels from him and uh, threw them in that, let them sit for about six weeks. It didn't take long. It was just a toast-level uh, barrel, not a charcoal-level barrel. So I just wanted a little bit of tannins in there, a little bit of oak. Uh, so that's the flavor that I got. It's turned out pretty good. I've let a lot of people taste that so far, and they, they're giving me thumbs up. Uh, I guess I should enter in some contests, but uh, I'm sort of dwindling down the contests that I'm entering because I'm just too busy doing other things. Right. But uh, uh, I, yeah, the, the, you got to do the local peach up here in Georgia. You got to do blueberries now. That blueberry's coming into a uh, season, but uh, oh. I really fell in love with black currant, and I'm starting to use it uh, a few more in my uh, blend recipes, if you will. So uh, yeah, peach and black currant. Black fuzzy peach. <laughs> <laughs> Are you finding any challenges in producing it, or is it going along exactly how you planned it? it it's going as long as uh, uh, I've looked at it. Uh, part of me, I mean, I, I put it out there for my friends, and they say, oh, it's great, and they give me feedback, but I'm a perfectionist. It's like I think I need to put a little more maybe current in it because I like that little dark, twangy kind of taste. Uh, mm-hmm. Um, so I may may do a dill batches. I may do light style fruit meads because I've had a lot of good feedback on that. But I'm more of the uh, the not real heavy, but at least a good medium to heavy fruit flavored. You know, uh, you, you you take a sip on it, and I shouldn't even have to tell you what the fruit is. You should know what it is because of the taste, and it's got complex flavors. So that's some of the key things that I'm actually looking for. I still, even though I have some some great meads and some award winners. I still haven't found my number one mead that uh, Blair House likes. <laughs> well, that's fair. Yeah. So, um, how about talking about the heritage? You'd mentioned in your background and from information that you and your wife have some her- Cherokee heritage, and that the name of the meadery harks back to the Etowah River. Which does this have big significance for you? It does. Uh, you know, I've always been told that, you know, part of my family descends from the, the Cherokee people uh, prior to the Trail of Tears. Uh, the same with my wife. Uh, she, uh, her and her family is actually more involved with it and has a more solid history. Uh, some of her ancestors were, you know, uh, I guess high in the food chain, if you will. Hmm. Uh, it was the women, actually, that was the... Uh, I guess what you would call a chief. They were actually the leaders of the tribe and, and made decisions, and part of her family was uh, part of the treaty signers that was uh, on different bills with the, the state of Georgia and the nation prior to the Trail of Tears. Uh, so we've always had that kind of heritage growing up. Uh, uh, of course, growing up in high school, it's like, all right, what do we do after high school? Oh, we go fishing and we do things like that. And part of the, the river trail system was the Etowah River, and so I have a lot of my friends that we grew up in the Etowah and fishing. And, you know, when you're in the valleys and you, know, you go find pottery shards from the old Cherokee villages that was there, mm. it sort of gives you a sense of history. Uh, and every year in, in Dahlonega, uh, third weekend in October, there's a gold rush festival. And of course, there 
celebrating the discovery of gold, but that was also the demise of, for the Cherokee because of the Trail of Tears. So there's a, you know, it's a, it's a you know, happy and sad moment at the same time because a lot of history evolved uh, around that small town. So it does have a lot of history for me, and that's why I picked that name. Uh, when I started out brewing, actually, uh, since Delonga is a mining town, the mining go, that we had uh, thought about maybe having a different name, and it was actually Mine Chef Brewing Company. And so we went down that road. It's like, oh, that sounds pretty cool. You know, we come up with uh, logos and stuff like that. But then when I did a national search on it, it's like, oh, somebody's already using that out in Utah. It's like, okay, we're not going <laughs> to use that. <laughs> so you live and learn, and you move on. So it's like, you know, I really love the name Etowah. Uh, I love the outdoors. I love that uh, the Native Americans actually grew fruit, uh, you know, on the Etowah River. And uh, I've already was already in growing figs and peaches and stuff myself. It's like you know, I think that'll be a good fit for our company. So that's uh, that's the road we went down. I, I thought about uh, incorporating some of the pottery shard design into the logo, but I didn't know if people would actually get that. That's outside of our region. It's going to be hard enough trying to explain what Etowah means outside of our you know North Georgia area. So sure. some of the the struggles that I've had is with. With the final logo, uh, I think it's a good logo. And of course, when we do our labels, we'll throw in honey designs and bee designs and things like that that, that sort of indicate that you know we are a meadery, you know, wine made from uh, honey instead of uh, something else. Cool. Okay, cool. So, when are you thinking you're going to try to be open by? What's the plan? I'm, did you get your paperwork in yet? Uh, not yet, but. <laughs> I was hoping that that I could uh, submit my floor plan, uh, proceed floor plan, if you will, with the TTB. But after after the uh, the advanced meat making in uh, California, UC Davis, and talking to the TTB lady, she says, "No, no, no, you actually have to have a physical location already made." Because I actually have property up here that I was going to build the meter on. Uh, as as a start and then a, as a finish, but she said, no, you actually need a spot. So instead of me wasting another six months, if you will, trying to build a facility and get all the approvals for that, uh, I believe I'm just going to lease a spot for a couple of years, uh, see how it goes, and then maybe uh, since the, the spot that I've looked at is actually downtown Dahlonega, it'll afford me the opportunity to not only – uh, have a lot of the visitor traffic because it is a tourist style uh, city. Uh, Dahlonega is actually has been, uh, I guess, through through Georgia Congress, uh, rated the uh, the wine capital of Georgia. So it's a it's a good place to have it. We have a couple of hundred thousand visitors that come up in uh, October and a few of the festivals. So I'm just going to lease a spot. I uh, just went and looked at it actually last weekend and met with the owner and told him what the plans were. And I had looked at it before last year, but kind of it's like, oh, this is not going to work. So he's agreed to um, do a step lease with me that's uh, very economical towards my budget. So we're moving ahead on that. So I'm hoping to uh, sign a lease maybe by the end of this month and definitely next month. And then I'll finalize all the paperwork as far as the TTB and get that get that ball rolling. So I'm hoping to at least be open in time for the tour season in October. That would be cool. 
Uh, yeah, I'm ready to go. I'm, I'm actually, the way I look at it, it's like I'm just in my own way now. It's like <laughs> there's so many things that, that needs to be done, but it's like, hmm. all right, I have to do this. And I, I was telling my wife, it's like I need to make me a storyboard or a schedule of what everything needs to be done to lead to the path of opening. Like uh, like I hear all this political stuff going on. What's the path, you know? So <laughs> It's actually a pretty good idea. Yeah, I mean, that's... That, yeah. You know, when building a business, that's, I mean, I, I do marketing, consulting, and coaching for uh, craft beverages in my real life. And um, <laughs> and um, that's one of the things that we do is you sit down and basically storyboard it. I mean, you, you lay out the path between here and the goal and figure out what has to happen and when so that you can, yeah. you know, get that stuff all happening. Because, I mean, dude, you got like 100 million balls in the air. If you've got them all written down, it's a whole lot easier to figure them out than it is if you're just juggling and going, which one was that? <laughs> yeah, in the in the construction yeah. industry, we call it a critical path. Yeah. So you figure right. out all the tasks that you need to do to get from point A to point B, and you figure out who needs to do them and what order they need to be done in and what needs to get done and what sequence and all of that. Right. I mean, I'm a I'm a firm believer of I make task list and honeydew list every weekend <laughs> and they got to be so big it's like I need a list for my list so <laughs> it's like let's just storyboard it out let's see how everything because I'm a visual thinker uh, I like to put things on big boards and I draw circles and I say okay if I do this I need this and this and then that leads to this so it just helps me think and clarify just so I don't miss steps, because like, oh, I didn't think about that. It's like, I'm going to do half that. It's like, I was calling Ray down this to get uh, insurance quotes, you know, for the you know, spot that I'm going to lease. It's like, okay, yes, I do need insurance. And so you have to call someone and get quotes for insurance, you know. So I've already done most of the business plan, so I know that the, the finances that he and I talk about will work. So it's just a matter of getting everything in line and just, you know, rolling that ball and just letting it go. Cool. That is cool. Well, yep. I'm excited. I mean, I can't wait to see what you do with this. I I do expect you to let me know when the pop pop meat goes in the bottle, so that I can drive to Georgia and get me a bottle of that. You know, because <laughs> I totally, have to mail me one too. <laughs> yeah. But uh, you know, we'll definitely we'll definitely want to try that. Maybe we'll have to have him back on the show. You know. Mm. Yeah, and, once uh, once yeah. you're up and running, we'll have to have you back. Do a pawpaw tasting. Mm. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> but well, um, one of the things that uh, I think is going to be good is, and I picked that up when I was at UC Davis, is that we were doing honey tastings and then doing back-to-back meat tastings. And so it sort of helps, you know, from a customer standpoint, if I bring in, you know, the, the different fruits that I'm using and the different honeys that I'm using and do a, you know, a professional-level tasting, it's like this is what goes into making this. And so let them taste the the pawpaw, let them taste the peaches or the blueberries, and then let them taste the different honeys that uh, that are made from the different products. And then bring it in as a third wave and say, now this is what the final product is as far as the, the meat is concerned. For me, for uh, sensory perspective, projections on that it's like you know you sort of lead that client to you know to understand the pro not only the process but the flavor profiles that are in each of the meads and so that's one of the things that i look forward to trying to do with a lot of my private uh, tastings that i'm gonna do nice i like it you've got it i mean yeah. i think you've got a good you got a good plan there um you know i'd love to i'd love to you know when we get offline talk about it a little bit more i'm curious to see you know what all? What all? You know, you're thinking about doing, 
but um, we do need to kind of wind things up because I got Frank waiting in the wings, going "Hello." <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he's actually being very—he's actually being very patient. <laughs> but they're actually—they're getting ready to leave for the Mazer Cup in the morning, so I don't want to overhold—you know—hold him over long. Yeah. Um, cool. Yeah. So I mean, you're more than welcome to stay on the line and um, take part in the sour mead discussion. Okay. And you know, and see what happens. It. Yeah, I think we're going to end up getting some calls on that. We're going to open up the lines once we get them in and going. So all y'all out there listening, we apologize for the first part of this was really spotty. We had tweets coming in going, dude, I'm hearing like one word in ten. Yeah, we're really <laughs> sorry. That was my fault. I think I got it fixed. And uh, with any luck, the rest of the live feed will be good. But don't worry, we are recording. So there will be hopefully a good, clear recording for you to download after. After the fact, so thanks for being patient with us while we clear up the dust. Um, you've been listening to, well, you've been trying to listen to <laughs> 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 um, Blair Housley from Ottawa Meadery in uh, Dahlonega, Georgia, and uh, he's going to be opening up with any luck at all this fall with pawpaw and mango and fig and God knows what all other very delicious sounding melomels. So we're all kind of excited to see what happens with that. Thanks for coming on, Blair. Appreciate it. Uh, no, thank you for having me. Well, that was fun. Thank you very much. Yeah, so stick around if you want to, and uh, we'll get on with uh, having the Frank man in here. You want to take over the commercial responsibilities, madam, while I, uh, while I, while I screw up the phone system a little bit right. here? Okay, <laughs> hey, you going to be making noise? or? Uh, I'm going to try not to make too much noise. Okay. Um, Golden Coast meads are delightful, authentic, and good for the planet. Crafting San Diego-style mead, effervescent, semi-sweet meads that are refreshing any time of the year. Golden Coast Mead endeavors to be a force for good in the world, specifically by helping bees, beekeepers, and the ecosystems we depend on. They donate 1% of their gross revenue to causes that help bees thrive. Save the bees. Drink mead. Learn more and order a bottle of delightfully surprising mead at goldencoastmead.com. Nicely done, nicely done. All right, and um, we are going to see if this is going to work here. I'm going to get Frank, and then I'm going to get Chris. It's supposed to be calling. There we go. Hello. Hey, how you doing, Frank? Good, Vicky. How are you? Pretty good. Didn't sound like you there for a second. I'm like, <laughs> did I call the wrong number? Uh-oh. <laughs> um, welcome, welcome. Hang on, I'm just ringing. Um, I'm just ringing Chris right now, so we'll get him in here too. Sweet. Thanks. Uh huh. And we've got uh, we've got uh, Blair Housley on the line still too from Ottawa Meadery, so he's gonna kind of hang with us. Sweet. Hey, Blair. Hi, Chris. Hello. Hi, Chris. Welcome. It's good to have you. It's good to have you back on back on the show. You were here last time too, weren't you? I think it was no. just me. Was it? Oh, was it just Frank? Oh, okay. Yeah. All right. Well, we are happy to have you here. So, all right. So, for those of you just tuning in after our little debacle with the first part of the show, not not streaming as nicely as I would like it to have. <laughs> um, apologies again. Uh, we have uh, Frank Goldbeck and Chris Herr from Golden Coast Meadery on with us, and. 
They're here to talk about the secret of the sour mead. I feel like this is a Scooby-Doo mystery. Um, a lot of people have been talking about the sour meads, and they're becoming kind of a thing. So I think that this is a good time to have you guys on here to to talk about it, especially since you're doing this amazing open source thing that's so stunning. And um, I'm, I'm trying to find somebody who's a wiki expert so I get this all properly up on Got Mead in a way that people can actually find everything. So... <laughs> But yeah, but um, anyway, uh, mainly, you know, we want to have you here just to kind of ramble on about this. And those of you that are listening in, if you can actually hear the feed, uh, the call in number is 803-443-MEAD. That's 803-443-6323. And uh, if you uh, want to come in on Skype, you can Skype MeadWench. And if you can't do either of those things and want to just tweet us, you can do that too. But be patient with me. I'm juggling half a dozen balls uh, on the show. So, um, But I would just love to hear you guys ramble on about what, why, how, anything you can think of. And AJ can jump in with questions because she's a huge expert beyond me, way beyond me. So, Excellent. excellent. Well, I'll, I'll preface it just by saying... What started as an accident, because we were making John with Tyler Sewell, uh, became a, a beautiful thing that we got very excited about. But our process needed refinement because we found that the, the sour bug crept along and evolved and um, pitching the trub, if you will, pitching the leavings from the prior batch, uh, relatively quickly changed on us. Like our first batch of sour was like a Berliner Weiss tart and refreshing and um, just this incredibly compelling thing. And over time, the tartness took the back seat to a more funky uh, Brett influence of kind of barnyard hay, you know, horse blanket, uh, some tropical <laughs> fruit and, and nice bready notes, but definitely some funky bready notes too. So we, we kind of went back to the drawing board, and um, this guy, James Faw, who runs Real Brewers East in Oceanside near our meadery, just showed up on our doorstep and was like, hey, how can we help you? And it was like, oh, my gosh, are you serious? You're a Ph.D. in microbiology, and you have a yeast lab, and you're doing sour bugs and looking at sour bugs on mead? Oh, my gosh, let me get you a bottle of this. So we got him a bottle of like one of our awesome sours. And and we were like, can you identify what made this so awesome? And he found this lactobacillus. Um, but it's kind of a funky lactobacillus under the microscope. It kind of looks more like a star than the traditional rod of a lactobacillus. Um, and isolated it and grew it up. And so then Chris took that and turned it into some test batches. So I'll let Chris take it from there on where we're at and... Um, how we've achieved success despite a few little setbacks and what the next steps are with the, the sour project. Okay. So we, we uh, got this lactose sample from James Fowl and uh, pitched it right with the yeast at the very beginning um, and got this really great, like, bright, sour, tasty mead. Um, one of our issues was pH and what ended up happening was it dropped to like 2.8, stalled the fermentation out 
Um, and so our next round of experiments is going to be about timing the lacto pitch um, and then preemptively buffering the pH so that that fermentation continues to carry through to the end. And so we used Safael 5, which is kind of our house um, yeast, and we pitched about 80 million cells per, per milliliter. Is that right, Chris? Do you remember what the cell count was of the, the pitch of lactobacillus? Because this is totally a non-standard thing that is, you know, important to pay attention to. And I don't have the data in front of me, but Chris, do you, do you know what that number was? I don't remember. I, yeah. I know we pitched way more than we had to. <laughs> uh, and then we got it down to about five and a half bricks when that low pH started to make it fall out. Is that right? Right. Yeah. So the, the Safale seemed to be capable of fermenting it down to about three or three quarters of the way through our starting bricks is usually around 20, 22. Um, and then got it down to five and a half. And then that low pH just really made it go dormant. So Chris added a little bit of calcium carbonate and it, uh, it picked back up. Right, Chris, you, you roused it a little, a little bit. It, um, it picked up again, but kind of chugging along. Last I checked it, it was still at, four bricks, so still pretty high. Okay. Shoot. You guys still there? Shoot. Yeah. I'm here. Okay, good. Uh, I just got a thing <laughs> pop up, and I thought, crap, it just dumped me. Okay, go on. I'm sorry. I did not mean to interrupt. Um, you, you're on a roll here. So, I mean, what did you figure out? I, I'm curious about like the bones of this thing. You know, what what kind of got you here in the first place, and then what sorts of yeast were you playing with? I know there's a lot of meters out there that are like frantically taking notes right now. <laughs> you know, trying to figure out like what all happened. Did I go away? I've still got you. Okay. Oh, did we lose the guys? Oh, shit. We lost the guys. My, uh... Did you elbow a button? No! It just bumped me because apparently I had only five minutes left on my Skypey credit. I'm like, no. <laughs> Bear with us, guys. Yeah, go ahead and call him back on yours and uh, get him in. Um... And let's do that, and I'm going to go ahead and uh, get more minutes on this end because it's just being... Uh, I have no idea how to call through on Skype, and the last uh, time I tried calling anything, it told me I needed money. Oh, did it? Okay. Yeah, sorry. <sighs> sorry, listeners, please hold while we yeah, spray some technical difficulties. Yeah, hang on. Technical difficulties. I, apparently, Microsoft has decided that there's something that I didn't even know about that says I can only have X number of minutes. I'm like, really? Never had that problem before. So I am fixing it right now. If I can just get into the right part of Microsoft, that will uh, let me fix this.
So I'm working on it. Because Microsoft doesn't like to make it easy for you to do this stuff. Right, of course not. Oh god, yeah, that would be ridiculous, right? Well, if you want, I can read what I wrote about the uh, sour orange blossom mead that we tried, uh, which I had on January 26th. Oh, totally, yeah. Okay, um, I found it was very, very nice with um, a very definite orange blossom in the nose, uh, which I found quite pleasant, and there's a a flavor that a lot of dry meads give me that I don't really like, but this did not have it despite being a fairly dry mead, and sour is not really my thing, but it's not overpowering at all, and it left this mead with a very decent mouth feel, and the carbonation fits this better than I think it fit the uh, straight orange blossom, which I had tried the week before. Um, it leaves, leaves a really nice taste and texture after swallowing, and um, even though, you know, sour stuff's not really my thing, I found it was really, really different and quite drinkable, and I, I very much liked it. So, that's uh, that's my extent of time-wasting for <laughs> letting Vicky get stuff back together. Yeah, uh, yeah, well, since uh, Microsoft decided in its infinite wisdom to cut off all my minutes... Um, and then dumped everybody. So now I think I have, yes, I have, I think I have enough minutes. So, all right, Blair, everybody, we're going to try to call you guys back here real quick. And, uh, let's try that one more time. All right, so more li- more things to know. Microsoft hates us. Yeah, yeah. Well, Microsoft hates everybody, so that's. Hello. Hi. Sorry about that. Microsoft, yeah. in its <laughs> infinite wisdom, decided I was out of minutes. I'm like, right? No, I pay for minutes. What the hell? So, yeah. <laughs> Sorry about that. Um, I'm gonna call Chris now. So, um, get him back in here. I can't believe that. I was like, seriously? And all of a sudden, popped up and said, "You have three minutes left." I'm like, "Excuse me." <laughs> <laughs> but I'd forgotten Microsoft bought Skype. And so I had like unlimited minutes on Skype, but apparently when they merged, the rules changed and I hadn't been doing enough minutes on it for it to affect me. And apparently, you know, this is what happens when you, uh, you know, don't pay attention to these things. So I'm calling Chris right now. Poor Chris probably talking like, why aren't they talking back to me? <laughs> Chris? I'm here. Hi, sorry. It's not that we don't love you. It's that Microsoft doesn't love you. They cut me off. Um, <laughs> yeah, it, it popped up a message and said, you have two minutes left. You have one minute left. Then it dropped everybody but me and AJ. God knows why. <laughs> so um, I just I had to go and like frantically go in and spend money on Microsoft and, and uh, get this thing taken care of. So you're back, and I'm sorry, and... Please pick up where you left off on telling us, you know, what's going on with the sour mead. You know, everybody wants to know, like, as many details as you're willing to give them. And for those of you out there, if you're still listening after all the hoorah that we've had, um, please feel free to call in uh, and, and, you know, and ask questions. So, um, you know. We'll do that. Where did and leave us, Vicky? Where uh, we? I think we lost you, and we were starting to get into, like, yeast and how all this kind of got started. 
Yeah, the last, uh, the last notes that I had was you were talking about the batch that you I'm getting really, really overpitched, and then you got it down to like 5.5 bricks before you started having pH issues, and then you buffered it, and it picked up a little bit, but not as much as you'd thought, and then I think that's about where we got cut off. <laughs> I love it. Cool. The short and fast version. I'm waiting for Blair to pick up, but keep going. This Blair. Hey, Blair's there. Blair's there. Yeah, sorry about that. But blame a- Microsoft, you know, just saying. We can't blame Canada because we got AJ on the call. So. <laughs> so, Chris, we, we roused that sour and, and buffered it with, with calcium carbonate. And then how was the fermentation curve after that move? What was that, Frank? We, we roused it and we added calcium carbonate, and then what happened to the fermentation curve? Um, not a whole lot. It's still kind of, um, I don't know. We only saw about a bricks and drop over the course of the next week. Um, so it never really picked back up again to full strength. Um, one of the things is we compared that arc I think for one of the next batches, uh, same process, pitching the lacto right at the start would be to buffer uh, with our third staggered nutrient addition because that seemed to be the part where, or the time frame where the pH really started to drop quickly. Right, right. And so... Next step for us on on trying to perfect the sour process is a, a three part test. Right, we're gonna do pitch at, with with staff ale or with the yeast and buffer up front. Right, pitch with uh, or pitch with nutrient addition number three uh, with the buffer, and then pitch the. Uh, Lacto at a different rate. Is that accurate? What am I missing there? I feel like I'm missing something there. No, that's accurate? Okay. And what was the rate that we were talking with Dr. Fall about? Uh, at a lower rate, right? We wanted to give Safail a better opportunity to thrive by and kind of outcompete the lacto by starting with way less lacto but pitching it up front. Because I think from a process standpoint, trying to pitch them at the same time is a bit more scalable, a bit more approachable. But if we have to pitch it later on, we're open to that. Um, it's just that it seems like you're introducing a whole slew of variables that would be nice to control out of the process if we can if we can make an awesome and delicious sound read. So the, the pitch recommendation from Dr. Fowl was uh, 100 milliliters per 20 liters. So that's where we're kind of starting and carrying on from. For 20 liters, yeah. So for a five-gallon batch, like 100 milliliters. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> was that? Did, did that come through? I thought I muted. Um, nope. <laughs> oh, I'm so sorry. Yeah, I I took a drink of my tea and nearly died. Sorry. <laughs> Muting now. 
<laughs> oh god, I'm so. <laughs> okay, so you've been trying to pitch it at the same time and control all the variables, but you're open to pitching it the lacto separately from the Cephal yeast, right? That's what was. That's what's going on before Vicky tried to kill herself. <laughs> Exactly. And then also, buffer timing is a question, so we're going to look at doing it about three days in. And that was advice from Jane, uh, from Shea Comfort, the yeast whisperer, uh, who is a fermentation consultant, um, and he's helping us with kind of our core meetings, but we kind of brought up the sour piece, and he was like, oh, yeah, just add the buffer at the drop and then the drop won't happen, and you're used to be happy. Um, but his his knowledge is deep and wide, and if anyone wants to talk, like, magical mead-making, um, he's a great resource um, and, and can really help out with a lot of cutting-edge mead-making technique. Well, that's really cool. Yeah. So now, now what you're doing right now is you're pitching a lot of the yeast and not as much of the lactose, so you're trying to give the yeast a head start? That's one of the three uh, trials, right? So one of the three. Same, okay. amount of, same amount of lacto with buffer up front, uh, same amount of lacto later on with buffer, and then half amount of lacto up front with buffer. Okay. Let's see how it all turns out. All right, so these ones these ones haven't actually started in the testing yet. Correct. We're focusing on refining some some changes to our core products that we hope will carry over to the sours. Like when core products are even more awesome than the sours, with the sour layer on top will be magical. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's certainly a very interesting drink. <laughs> Thanks, EJ. Yeah, I really liked it when we when we did the tasting mm-hmm. when we had you on the first time. Um, I was stunned. Yeah, I mean, I didn't know what to expect exactly, but I kind of had it in my head that it wasn't going to be as good as it was. You know, <laughs> yeah. You yeah, know, no, I don't I know mean, why, but just in my head, I was like, "Well, this will probably be okay mead," but it was like a stunning mead. It really was quite. Oh, yeah, good. yeah. At the Davis course, uh, the advanced mead making course, they talked a lot about lactobacillus, and you know. It is a diverse range of off flavors that lacto can make, and they're not all desirable. You know, um, yeah, like the desirable yogurty tartness is just one of many uh, variations. And there are lactos that create that kind of corn chippy um, funk that uh, I, we've had in some of our sour meats that some folks rave for, but for me, is always a little weird. Uh, we, we made a batch of salad ones called, and we called it pain galactic gargle blaster. Um, <laughs> did it hit you? Did it hit you like a, like a lemon wrapped around a wrapped gold around brick? A brick. <laughs> <laughs> gold brick. Yeah. We're a bunch <laughs> of damn geeks. I tell you. <laughs> um, so, so you guys have had kind of a lot of, uh, side trails in this pursuit of the perfect sour means. But we've had some that have been so phenomenal that we feel compelled to continue. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's pretty cool. Um, so, I mean, 
have you perfected it now? I mean, have you got it nailed so that you know you're going to get a good one, or is it still adventures in mead making every time you do a batch? You know, I think this lacto has really given us a baseline to work with, because even if it's, like, not an optimal fermentation, the product is tasty. Um, So now it's like, okay, great, how do we achieve those end states we're kind of looking for when we look at a recipe that's scalable. And to me, that's like getting it below one brick. Um, but we'd like to even rule that out and get it down to like minimal bricks, like 0.10 if possible. Um, we want to know that it's going to be relatively stable in the bottle and it's not going to evolve into something we're not going to like. So that's a whole nother kind of realm of trials. Mm. Um, yeah, that would be interesting. <laughs> <laughs> Open it up and get, uh, yeah. Um, what was it? What was it you said earlier that was? It kind of struck me as funny. The flavors, corn syrup. Corn syrup yeah. So you get Frito Lay sour mead. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. Because I, I, I think the I, this... one I ever had was diesel. Diesel. Yeah, it doesn't taste bad, but it smells like diesel. And if you oh. shake the crap out of it and use a, a vacuum vent pump or something like that, it uh, it it tastes fine. But when you first open the bottle, it smells like diesel. You talked about that Ooh. one before, yeah. I, was I like, don't yeah. know what the heck it is, and I had two batches do it. Weird. Was that a lacto? Uh-huh. Not on purpose. Um, if it was, it was completely accidental, and I had two batches that were prepared. I started them on the same day, but they were even made with different yeasts, and both of them, one of them was a, a lime mel, and the other one was a, a red uh, red currant wine, and they both went uh, diesel in the bottle, and if you shake the stink off, then they're fine, but it's it's very weird, and I've heard that oranges can, uh, that citrus can do some weird phenol things, and with the lime, it's sort of made sense. It's like something gone a little bit off in in the mm. aroma, but uh, mm. it it made absolutely no sense with the with the um, with the red currant because I mean I've made that dozens of times. I've never had that happen before. Hmm. Wow. Uh, maybe not dozens of times, but you know, a, a bunch of times I've made uh, the red currant wine, and I've I've never had anything that weird happen with it. But yeah, so I have no idea what it is or what did it, well, and I think it happened in the bottle. Well, we we found that this strain from Dr. Fa at Real Brewers East is is definitely worth playing with because the the yogurty tart, uh, you know, lactic sour is not too much and it doesn't get into weird. Um, then, like, with the, the breads, like, that's just a whole nother bag of worms that would be so cool to be able to really pin down a great bread. But we found that the ones that are available um, that we've messed with from White Labs really don't hit the mark. Though we do kind of like 644 as a, um, a kind of, Wild card strain, which is a a combo, right, Chris, of of Saccharomyces and Bartomyces. Um, my understanding was that it was a Saccharomyces originally classified as a Botanomyces, and a little while ago they were like, "Oh, we screwed up. It's regular yeast. It's just kind of weird." <laughs> <laughs> it's just a yeast that makes things sour. Oh, yeah. how bad? Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You'd think uh, from a microscope they'd be able to tell whether it was a a, a fungus or a 
a fungus or a bacteria. Well, black, black and, and saccharomyces are both uh, funguses, right? And oh, bread is a fungus. Is, okay. Yeah. yeah. Um, but are there, I would love to hear what folks' experiences and experiments are, you know, in the sour mead world. And, you know, if folks have tried ours, if they think that there are, room, there are ways they would improve it if they could or what they liked about ours or, because, gosh, you know, no one else is, that we know of is really doing them on, you know, a 20, 30-barrel scale. That was the scale that we did that Sour Orange Blossom on. Um, and we would we would love to do it again. We'd just love some more feedback, too. You know, people yeah. like it. Uh, people, you know. Yeah, people are, it sucks, or it's great, or here's why, yes or no. Um, you know, and guys, that's a signal to, like, call in if you want to, 803-443-6323, 803-443-6323, if you want to come in and tell them what you think about their sour meads, if you've had them, or ask some questions if you haven't, and, you know, learn more about that. I have kind of, a, and this may be totally out in left field, and it's certainly going to show my beer ignorance, a long time ago at a brewing, I went to a local um brewing groups meaning they have me every year come in and i basically do like a little dog and pony show on mead for them and um it's always a lot of fun and everything but they all bring you know beer to pass around and um we're all sitting down and there basically bottles going around and everybody takes their little sit and passes it on and somebody was doing a funky beer and it i'd never had a funky beer before it was you know like sour and smelly and gross looking and and i'm like ew why would i want to drink this it's broken you know mm-hmm. and, and he's like no trust us it's real beer it's actually a style and i'm going y'all are screwing with me you know i don't know the difference and you're messing with me i know you are because my i have friends who do this you know we'll just say i won't mention any names but because <laughs> i'm so much fun to screw with you know but um you know so like no 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 really really it's a true intent so i drank it and uh, it had this you know this whole weird nose going in and i'm like i'm gonna hate this This is gonna be weird oh my gosh this stuff tastes pretty good is this even in the same realm as that or is this a whole other thing this showing me it's like i say showing my beer ignorance so i don't know yeah i think one of the the kind of category defining uh sours is duchess de bourgnon right which I'm, I'm going to get into the edges of my knowledge, but I believe it's a Flanders red. Right, Chris? I didn't catch any of that, actually. Oh, Duchess from Duchess de Bourgogne, the, the Belgian uh, sour. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's a Flanders red. Yeah. And so they, I, I think it's a traditionally soured, like, leave the wort exposed to the elements over a day, uh, let whatever's floating in the brewery settle, then put it in the tank, and then let it go. You know, no domestic yeasts involved, and then they'll age it on oak for a while, and that creates its own little microbiota, and you're kind of blurring the lines between traditional winemaking and beer making in that regard, you know, really relying on age and the complexities of, you know, the, the microbes that landed in that uh, ward to, to dictate the, the turn or the taste and maybe 
they you know they've got a strong enough culture in the brewery that it's relatively consistent, and then they blend it across multiple batches to achieve consistency as well. But it's a much different way to make a product than like our our big mechanistic factory uh, approach to making beer that's typically employed. You know where you're you're using a perfect strain of yeast and pitching a huge amount of it and um, barding every little step of the way. So, yeah, I'd say it's it's closer to that, but we want to evolve to the point where we can scale it consistently, produce it, hit those taste characteristics of honey expression, tartness to balance the honey, uh, but clean up the palate and, and make it uh, a really integrated dynamic drink uh, that, that could rival any champagne out there. Like I think our sour orange blossom really is a great uh, Ooh, yeah. entry point for people who are into champagne. Yeah. Um, mm. uh, we've got a caller, Joel Robinson in Australia, who wants Joe! to talk to us. Yeah, to his buddy Frank. <laughs> so hang on, I'm bringing him in. Joel, have we got you? Oh, no, I'm still trying to call him. We're in the champagne. There he is. Joel, are you here? We've got a caller, Joel Robinson in Australia. <laughs> All right, turn, off your, turn off your feed, Joel. You're going to get weird feedback <laughs> otherwise. Hey, Joel. Hey, Joel. Hey, welcome, mate. <laughs> hey, Joel. How you going, Joel? Joel interned with us about three weeks ago or four weeks ago after the... Uh, the UC Davis Advanced Mean Making course. Nice. And so, yeah, man, great, great to hear your voice. Oh, no worries. I heard you were going to be on today, so I've put the kids to bed early. It's one o'clock here, and uh, <laughs> uh-huh. I'm my buddy. <laughs> awesome, man. Awesome. How you- How's that? <laughs> Hello? Yeah, you're still here. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah, no, no. Look, I've only just turned it on, um, but for those of you that, that are aware of what Frank is doing, I think I was thinking about it last night. It's it's kind of bigger than just, just mead, what uh, Frank's up to. It's nearly a, a global movement he's, he's trying to achieve with his open source and the 1% profit back to, to organisations. And I think that if people aren't aware of that, then that's something that definitely needs to be supported and it's putting the power back into the people, giving us the knowledge in our hands so that we we can take the power back. And on top of that, not only is he, you know, being a leader in that field, but that sour me that, that Frank makes is, is unbelievably good. So people need to get onto that and get down to San Diego, and they need to try it if you haven't. It's some of the best meat I've ever had. Yeah, we really liked it when they sent us some. You hear that, Frank? You're outstanding in a field. <laughs> do they even do they even have fields in San Diego? I don't know. <laughs> so, there you go. There you go. Sorry about that. I just it was there. I had to take it. But yeah, I think you're right. I think they they're they're breaking they're breaking new ground and doing some really interesting stuff. And um, the sooner I can get the Dern Wiki up with all of the secrets of Sour Meads on Got Mead, so that the, all the data that they so generously provided can be accessed, I think the better. 
Thanks. Definitely, definitely. He he gave me <clears throat> a really good head start for what we're trying to do back back home in Australia, and uh, he knows how much it meant to us and uh, my family. And just spending time with Frank and his family was was a beautiful thing. So it is a start of a very long friendship we've developed. And, and yeah, if people haven't met Frank, he's a very good man. Thanks, Joel. Well, Joel's had a great example for how to be an intern. He worked his tail off and uh, only asked questions when we were kind of, I mean, when it was a good opportunity and was just so attentive to how he could help. So it was like it, we were so eager to uh, to share what we know with him because he made himself just so helpful for the whole team. Um, and he brought us some Stone's ginger wine from Australia, which is oh, cool. I've never had this. <laughs> Oh dear. Well, and, and you know we've got another we've got another one who was a who was a good intern here too. Blair did intern for Colony and Moonlight to to learn you know to kind of get the backgrounding down before he opens up his place. Yeah, my buddy Blair. I met Blair as well when I was there in in, in the UC Davis course, and uh, I wanted to have a chat to him. But I got on here a little bit late today. But if you're still listening, I'm like, okay. G'day Blair, and he's another guy. He's, he's a really still on the call. Hey Blair, how you going, man? Great, man. Uh, you 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 hey. down under still? I <laughs> said <laughs> <laughs> okay, we've got Georgia, and we've got Australia. <laughs> I love it. Two of the coolest accents on the planet, dueling. Oh. <laughs> I love it. Uh, we we spoke at length, Blair and I, about what he was up to, and I like his style and. Uh, and, uh, yeah, we're going to put a little story about all these guys and all the people that I met uh, over there when I was fortunate enough to spend some time with, with the States and, and anyone thinking about doing those courses, get on to Amina Harris. And, and uh, it's a good opportunity. It's, it, for us, it's put me forward about five years for where we want to be that we just wouldn't have had the, the contacts and the opportunity. And I started out listening to Gottmead and being on the forums and uh, just really, really taking this idea of me to another level here in Australia. That's our plan to be to nice. be like Frank and be like Blair someday. Cool. You've got you you have followers. That's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> it's a movement, right? Like we've got a bit a culture of of mean yeah. so that uh, we you know we're not all just like oh it's like once you see the light get it. Oh God! Yes, you too will understand the magic of the mead. Come, join us! Join us! Drink the mead. Drink the, the holy light. mead. Drink the mead. <laughs> <laughs> oh Lord! Oh, yeah. We can make it intercontinental. <laughs> oh boy! Transpacific. <laughs> no, what we need to do is we need to set up like a meadery on the top of Ayers Rock, you know, and then we've got the center for the cult right there. There you go. Oh dear. Oh dear. Well, yeah. You know, like how many great bands were basically cults? Uh, <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I'm saying nothing uh, about my thing for Alice Cooper. Oh God. Yeah, I love Alice Cooper. <laughs> Can, can you say the Grateful Dead? Yeah, I thought you could. Uh, okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna bring. We got another one coming in. I got Hamish also from Australia. So yeah, Hamish wants to come in. So we're calling him. Awesome. 
And it looks like we're going to be overwhelmed by Aussies tonight. So, hey, Sweet. Hamish, are you here? I am. Hey, Hi, welcome, guys. man. <laughs> Good night. How you doing, Gus? Pretty good. We're 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 dueling we're dueling Americans and Aussies right now. Y'all are slowly overwhelming us one person at a time here. Yeah, yep, battle well, of the accents. You know. It's awesome. <laughs> I, I had a question for the boys. Um, being as you haven't nailed down your um, your recipe quite or your your procedure quite the way you, you're happy with, how is the market coping with your variability in what you're producing? I'm getting some feedback from you, Hamish. Would you are you on head headphones or speaker? I'm on headphones. Okay, dial down your volume just a smidge. Uh, yeah, I'm just I'm getting a little feedback from your from your thing. Make sure that your uh, live feed is off too. Yeah, live feed's definitely off. Okay. All right. Go ahead. Sorry. Mm-hmm. All right. Yeah, I, I heard you loud and clear, Hamish. Uh, and the, the question I heard was consistency and how did people receive it. So I think with sours, there's a fair amount of latitude because um, it's it's so wild, it's so different, and uh, we found that the batches that we love, we go to town on, and we really um, proselytize about it. But we kind of advise folks like, hey, this is experimental meat making here, so. Um, watch out and and we're not going to really release stuff to the trade you know through our distributor that we're not really soaked on whereas the tasting room we're going to be like all right these are new meat drinkers we're not going to try them on the super weird stuff uh we're going to pour them kind of the the first foot forward needs and chris works for tasting room so he's got a really good read on uh, how that works. And once they come back a couple of times or once they're, like, getting excited or once you felt them out and kind of seem like, okay, these people are open-minded and, and really interested in the craft, let's talk about using bacteria in fermentation and the varying results that can have. And that can just kind of blow their minds even more so that when they go home, they're like, what am I drinking this flavorless, uninteresting <laughs> thing for? So... So if it's used properly, I think it, it can help in telling the story and sharing the excitement of the discovery. But if it's uh, you know let out without the Zoolander quote comes to mind, you know you got to tame the beast before you really. <laughs> <laughs> so use your mead for good, not evil. Is that what you're saying? Uh, yeah, man. <laughs> a lot of good references there. Tame the beast before you bottle it. Got it. <laughs> Got it, yeah. Before you distribute it. Down, like, down. In the bottle with you. <laughs> Back in the bottle. <laughs> Casing room is a down, great down, down, down. Go, 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 go. <laughs> but don't send stuff to Whole Foods that you're not really stoked and proud about. <laughs> <laughs> so, Frank, I was going to ask... Where where are you at with working with the team at White Labs and uh, locking in that culture that you guys were using? Are we any step closer? We may have spoken about it, I may have missed it. But how's that going, mate, your partnership with those guys? Yeah, yeah. So, so that's kind of a separate project. White Labs is really interested in understanding what use they've already got in their portfolio and how they perform in needs. Um, so it's kind of a separate project, Joel, but um, so the the sour culture, James Faw has it in the bank, like 
I'm pretty sure that if you emailed him at realbrewersies.com and said, hey, that sour culture that you're working on with Golden Coast Meat, can I get uh, an order of that? Um, I think he'd be happy to work with folks on filling those orders for, you know, probably not super cheap because it's a small specialty product right now, but he's very excited about kind of being a leader in the sour meat space um, in terms of providing that bacteria. And then White Labs, you know, they've got this whole book of amazing yeast, uh, and they really understand how they perform in beer and wine if they're beer and wine yeast, but there's very little knowledge about how they perform in mead. So because they're they're local to us and we've kind of had a relationship for years with them doing testing services for us and us sending them all kinds of experiments, um, they got one of their gals, um, uh, Erica, who runs some of the analytical lab services and to focus on mead making and how nutrient additions perform in different yeasts. So it's yep. a little bit of a different project, but hmm. they did eight yeasts, two different pitch rates for us or with us and shared them with us uh, about two weeks ago and we were very excited about the results. Um, it's going to create another follow-up trial where we're going to nice. revise the nutrient addition approach but hopefully what's going to come out of this is a little bit of a cheat sheet on what White Labs ale yeasts work with mead with what nutrient additions um, yes. from kind of our and their perspectives. And then they might also get into something that Ken Tram mentioned at the mead making course, like if we knew what sugar content of the mead, of the honey going in was, because if we accept the premise that different yeasts like different sugars, which wine world talks about, but the beer world is like, no, nah, yeast just like sugar. They, they don't really care. But in the wine world is like, no, there's glucophilic yeast, fructophilic yeast, and maybe there's maltophilic yeast and different honeys. They they have different dietary preferences and different honeys have different constituent sugar makeups. So a fructophilic yeast in a gluco-rich honey might eat all the fructose they can find and then leave some of the glucose. That's probably not going to happen, actually, because glucose is relatively simple. So if a fructophilic yeast in a maltose-rich honey, uh, fructophilic yeast would like eat all the fructose, probably all the glucose, but probably leave a good amount of the maltose. So that maltose will then be left over to create body and character um, on a very complex uh, level that like Ken Tran is thinking about. Mm. Uh, so White Labs has the capacity to test the honey before the fermentation and test the must or the mead after the fermentation and then kind of deduce oh, this yeast seemed to prefer this type of sugar in this honey, um, which just unlocks a whole layer of structure and complexity building in mead making that had not even been thought of, to mm. my knowledge, before the advanced mead making course. Mm. Cool. Yeah, there's some pretty interesting stuff that came out of that course. I, I did a lot of research since I've come back with our Aussie honeys and eucalyptus, and it seems to be that... Um, <clears throat> it's it's equal amounts of glucose and fructose in the eucalyptus, and I actually because of Frank's teachings put down my first sour mead today. Frank, <laughs> no way. Yeah, yeah, sour sour yeast from White Labs and some um, ale yeast, and I don't know how we're going to go. The sour yeast uh, didn't travel too well 
Um, so I don't. We'll just have to wait and see, mate. But I'll let you know what happens. Yeah, man. Are you going to buffer it up? I am now. <laughs> I wasn't a second ago, but now that you mention it, yeah. <laughs> I'll have to test the pH at the moment and see where it's at. But uh, no, you're absolutely right. It does need to be buffered, doesn't it? Because if it gets down below three, it really starts to lag. I think is that that's correct. Right, right. So some calcium carbonate. Uh, Chris, Chris is going to do a trial, and he's on the phone right now. Um, hey, buddy. Hey, Chris. <laughs> he's he's lurking back there, just listening quietly. <laughs> uh, Chris is awesome. This is a uh, the research and development guy got at uh, Golden Coast, and Christopher Hur is a gun. He's a gun operator. He's a great guy to have around. <laughs> You know, that means a different thing on this side of the pond than it does on that side of the pond. Just saying. It's definitely a compliment over here. <laughs> I gathered that. I gathered that. But it's just it's just funny because the images that it raises here are probably a little different than the ones that it raises yeah. there. Yeah, uh, yeah God, I'll try that too. <laughs> So so yeah he's a but we get that he's a big gun and you know and that, that that one actually does cross cross uh country lines so that works. Ooh, we'll stick with legends for now, hey? Legends. There you go. Uh, legend. legend works. I like legends. This is one of the best things about having all these around. It's just like they don't even have to try to be hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> When I was there, when I was with Golden Coast crew, I brought my own Vegemite across, and uh, we instigated Vegemite and pretzels as tastings, and that that works really well, really well with me to the point when, after I spent time at Golden Coast, I went across to Detroit and spent some time with Shrams, uh, Mary, and Ken. Uh, I actually gave him my Vegemite; he loved it that much. That you gave him Vegemite? Oh, it's in his fridge. He loves it. He loves it. So it's, it's a great palate cleanser. Uh, is that what you call it? Okay. <laughs> I'm sorry. I I yeah. I, I have a good friend who's uh, an Aussie, and she actually moved back home a few years ago to to uh, be a grandma. But um, she would bring Vegemite, and I just couldn't. Just couldn't. <laughs> well, the other name for it is the leftover crap from beer. You're right. Yeah, it's basically spooge, you know, in a I, jar. I, I haven't had Vegemite, but I, I I know someone who likes Marmite, and that was pretty horrid. Isn't that the same thing, more or less? Similar. Yes. The yeast extract. Yeah. Uh, okay. They, they have a different flavor profile. I guess it's good I if you, know, you you need to like repopulate the yeast in your system, but is it the right sort? I don't know. <laughs> well, it's dead, but you know the, the thing that makes a big difference is how enthusiastic the person sharing it with you is, and Joel is the best Vegemite. <laughs> <laughs> so you're you're a Vegemite ambassador, is that what you're saying? <laughs> totally. Oh God! So he, he left it with Ken. That's hilarious. <laughs> Just getting back to something. Just getting back to something Joel said before. Um, you've been testing a whole lot of different uh, Australian honeys and the eucalypts and and whatnot. I haven't seen any um, evidence of such um, such research. Is is that uh, can be published? No. <laughs> it's called post, dude. Post. <laughs> <laughs> I'll look. I'll look at where I found that man. I found that uh, just through some. Papers that I that I was reading, and I've got them saved on my computer somewhere. So I'll get them across to you there, Hamish. I'll I'll, I'll flick you a link. 
and um, on our Facebook page and, and let you have a look at it. But that, that was some high-level stuff that they were talking about during the science of mead-making and the different fructophilic yeasts and, and gluconic yeasts. And uh, it's, it was kind of above me at that stage and probably still is a bit beyond my talent, but it gave me the the avenues that I needed to look into to increase my, my potential, I guess. But so one, one of the staple got made live questions um, for people is, is what is your fa- favourite honey? And um, one, one thing I'd like, Chris normally asks from Mississippi, but uh, one thing I'd like to ask you is what, what's your favourite Australian honey for making meat? Is that for me? That's for you, man. Uh, so, so far, um, my limited research has just been with uh, stringy bark, Iron bark, yellow box, uh, and red gum, and it was actually so I've learnt two different types of stringy bark. And mm-hmm. red gum for me has been the best uh, performer, and that sort of resonated when I was over in the states. I took some Aussie honey with me. It was a bit hard to bring a whole batch of meat across <laughs> and at the meat sessions, and so I brought honey. And as as well, most of the meat makers there preferred the red gum for its sort of full flavour, its toffiness, whereas, you know, some people got a little bit of medicinal flavours or a bit of menthol, definitely from the stringy bark. So red gum for me so far, mate. Yeah, I have to agree with you on that. That's my favourite. I'm glad that I don't have to search that other. Yeah, yeah. I think for us at the moment the biggest issue is we just went through the worst honey uh, record in history, I think, 2014, 2015 was tough. So we um, we want to do what, you know, Frank's leading the way with and source locally. And I've just found a guy who lives five kilometres away who should be able to supply me with enough red gum that if we, we go commercial, um, it's all part of that support community, support sustainability and, you know, create a story and getting getting honey from less than five kilometres away from where you're going to sell it from is, is a good part of that story. That's spectacular. Thanks, man. <clears throat> uh, I'll let you have the show back now, Vicky, shall I? <laughs> uh, Vicky, hello? <laughs> She's gone to make uh, it. <laughs> uh, sorry, I was typing back to answering Frank and, and I'd muted myself. Uh, no, 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 keep... Keep on, y'all got good conversation going, and that's what the show's about. It's not about like me talking and y'all listening. It's about everybody getting into it and having a good time. So, um, you know, this is good. But uh, Frank and I don't know, Chris, can you stay, or are you gonna um, have to go off with Frank? I know he's got to drive. I didn't know if you were going to the Major Cup or not. Hello, Chris. Did we lose Chris? We lost Chris. We might have lost well, Chris. We are we are both driving together tomorrow. So oh well, then maybe that's that was where he went. Then he's probably asleep. <laughs> um. <laughs> yeah, but it should be fun. Well, we're we're looking forward to Mayfair and bringing some sour meat. So anyone that's listening, that'll uh, see us there. We're eager to share uh, some of the sour orange blossom, and then we'll have our traditional orange blossom and our California oak, which really uh, and we'll probably bring some savage blah too, and maybe some experiments. We're driving, so we've got we've got um, we've got, got room capacity to bring good stuff. And I, I'm totally um, hating you just a little bit because I can't be there this year. Well, just a little bit, you know. So drink one for me, man, because I'm really super ultra bomb that I cannot go. 
Yeah, well, we'll miss you, Vicky, and you're doing so much for the community that uh, your name will be tossed around every day. Uh, we'll, we'll my ears will be burning we'll all weekend. Uh, <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate it. Well, have a good drive. Drive careful, and um, you know, text me back and let me know how things are going, man. Will do. And uh, Joel, great to hear your voice, man. Keep it up. Glad you're, you're making it happen down there. And here's thanks for calling in. Blair, see you later. And easy. Take it easy, guys. <laughs> Take care. Yeah. We've got Yeah, definitely. We've got uh we've got another caller just joined. Uh who who's calling in? This is Chris. I got disconnected. Oh, you did? Okay. Yeah. I was wondering what was going on because we were like, Chris, Chris, where'd you go? Yeah. Frank just jumped off since y'all got to drive tomorrow. Uh, <laughs> but um, you're welcome to stick around if you like. I mean, we're just kind of chitter chattering. So. Why not? Okay. Cool. Yeah, make Frank do the first leg. <laughs> <laughs> That'll work. So, yeah, I mean, Joel, you had sounds like you've got some interesting stuff going on over there. Are you uh, planning to start a meter or is this just uh, mead-making curiosity and pushing the boundaries kind of stuff? Uh, no, look, we, and I say we, that my partner and I, uh, Merida, and I, I got into mead-making not even a year ago, and I just see it as being something massive that has huge potential. I've been following the AMMA. And I know that it's the fastest growing industry over there, alcoholic industry in the States. I know that Australia will follow suit. And, you know, it, it's a very young industry here to the point when, you know, Hamish might be able to get some closer numbers. But I'd say there's not even 20 official commercial meteries here. And we, we want to be on that cusp. Um, and I like the way Frank does business. I like the style of meads, the San Diego style meads. That would sort of resonate here in Australia, that it's cold, it's crisp, it's refreshing, it's on tap, and that's kind of where we want to take our idea as well and, and have like a little a tap room maybe, a little mead bar, not not sort of a cellar door operation on a farm like, like vineyards do, but actually promote it and have it there for people to to come in and, and educate because that's where we're at the moment. So obviously I'm educating myself in the, the mead-making side of things and that's why I flew to the States. And um, But, you know, the big thing that you guys have all faced when you talk about mead, people are saying, what? What's mead? Did you say meat? They don't understand what, what it's about. So right now we're just in an education phase and trying to find a premises so we're, we're dead set serious about having, you know, a proper metery, uh, a tap room that you can come in and actually get a little tour of our facility and sit down and, and run a tasting. That's, that's sort of where we're at at the moment. So our little business, I don't know if it's okay to, to plug it or not. If it's not, let me know. But um, No, yeah, by all means. I, I really would love to get... Uh, one of the things that I've been wanting to do is kind of do some continent jumping with Got Me Live and check in on, you know, what's going on in the meat world in different places. And I've got, you know, all y'all over there in Oz and, you know, <laughs> it would be it'd be fun to drag y'all in here and, you know, and just kind of have the Oz show, you know, uh, Got Me Live, the Oz edition and, you know, and, and bring in the, some of the mead makers and some of the professional meaderies and some of the people that are in the progress and, you know, that kind of stuff. 
Yeah, well, we we have a little Facebook group, and that's where I know Hamish from. And but there's literally eighty five people on that group. So nice. you know, does that does that represent the greater community? There's eighty five people making meat, and there's twenty odd meteries. So. You know, there's a few names. Sean Johnson would be one of them. Um, Steve Kirby, he, he's uh, just started up a pretty recent metery, and Peter Greenwood down at Tassie, um, and Tracy Whitehead down at Victoria. They're sort of the main ones that I know that <clears throat> are, are doing quite well. Steve at um, Stone Dog Metery has only just started up. He's been making it now commercially for a year or so, and. Mm-hmm. He's, he's pulling the hard yards and making paving the path for the rest of us to sort of educate. So when, you know, we finally get something opened up, we're ready to go. So our, our little business will be called Hunter and the Harp Meadery. And, oh, I like um, that. We're creating a little... Yeah, when, when we... Uh, our story is kind of a nice story. It's Hunter is our little boy. He's two years old. And Harper is our little girl who just turned one. So we want to create a legacy for them that they're proud of, that <laughs> they can... Over one day, so that's Hunter and the Harp, and that's you know where we got our name from and our inspiration to do this, and why I flew all the way across to the states for three days to study about how to make mead, and and through Amina Harris, who was so so very helpful at the Honey and Pollination Centre, she put the word out, and mm. I, I was lucky enough to spend time with with Frank and Chris and Alex and the guys at Golden Coast, Joe the the production manager and then you know oh, i really admire what those guys are doing i think that sort of reflects who we are as people here at our house and then to spend time over at detroit Shrams was just was kind of like a 13 year old going to a one direction concert and getting your album signed it was yeah. pretty special for me <laughs> <laughs> oh it's hilarious <laughs> <laughs> I got him to sign my book and uh, that'll go up on my wall one day when, when we get our full facility and and but paying homage to these guys as well for everything that they've done and it's all about the stories and the friendships that I've made and as part of that I don't know if it's the right time but there was some really unfortunate news over there recently with the guys over at Salamence also in Detroit oh, and one what, of their what happened one of their four mead makers just passed away last week. So oh, these guys, if you, if you ever get to go down to Salomon's at Hazel Park, um, there's four legends, four blokes that have grown up from, from kindergarten together and have just been as tight as possible. And That's, that's a preschool um, for you guys. Ah, thanks, man. <laughs> Kinder preschool. So they've known each other since they're like four or five years old and one of them just passed away. He wasn't even 30, Jay. Oh, and uh, it's wow. really, really sad. Um, so they they need a lot of support at the moment, those guys. So if you're down that way, please just uh, tell them you're thinking of them and, and see what help they can do. Because that's not only they lost it, you know, they haven't just lost a business partner, but they've lost one of their brothers, one of their yeah. mates. And every time they go to work now, they're going to be thinking about that fallen you know, compatriot of theirs, and it's really, really sad. So um, there's stories coming through all this that I'm going to, you know, tribute, I guess, through these guys and um, pay homage to them when I can, when we have a place up and running. So follow us and uh, you'll, you might get a mead named after you, basically, is what I'm saying. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's it. I hadn't heard about that. I'll have to touch base. I know those guys, so I'll have to touch base with them and find out 
you know, what we can do to support. Oh, them. man, yeah. yeah. Please do. Those guys will be feeling it. So that's Dominic and Andy, uh, Andrew and Ian at the moment. They're the surviving founders that's over at Salomon's. So, yeah, please, Vicky, give, give them all the love that you can and give them some for me too. I will. I will definitely, Joel. Thanks for the thanks for the up, uh, update. They've been kind of staying quiet about it. I expect you found out just because you were there. So that's there's there's a couple of there's a couple of people I know where that's going on. Yeah. Where like things have happened, but they don't really want to kind of like put it out there. So you know. Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. But um, yeah, poor balance. But we'll we'll put something together once we're up and running. But. Uh, on a positive note, uh, my time over in the States was was just amazing and the contacts that I made. And I could be here all day talking about the people that I met and um, they were all in the same position as I was and they're stepping it up and the resources that I can tap into. And I think from a point of view, you know, they all started on Got Me. They all started on the forums. That's where I started. I know that's where Frank started. I know that uh, Hamish is on the Got Me's forums as well. So if it wasn't for someone like... Vicky putting in the, the effort 20, 30 years ago when it wasn't as cool as it is now, and we wouldn't be here ourselves. I don't know. We thought it was pretty cool, and we had our own little club, you know. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. it's a lot bigger now. But <laughs> I, I got to meet Pete. I got to meet, you know, Peter, Oscar. From yeah, Pete Bacalich, yeah. He's one of my He's one of my oldest friends in the meat industry. I've known him forever. Yeah, it, like, oh, again, I, I had to go and ask for a photo with him and stuff, and I felt like I, I was kind of just fan-basing myself when I was there and just getting photos with people and getting autographs and stuff. So, <laughs> Mate, I'd have done the same thing. Don't worry. <laughs> I'll probably do the same thing when I go. Ah, nice, nice. There's definitely some legends over there at the States. So us, us Aussies are, are following along uh, intently watching how you guys pull through the, the laws for the alcohol industry. For us, obviously, it's a lot different. Uh, we don't seem to have as many complications as you have. But <laughs> no. Well, I think you've also got a culture that um, is a lot more... It's weird because, I mean, we're comfortable with drinking here, but y'all, have, it's, it's uh, like an integral part of the culture there. So it's much more integrated than it is here, I think. Yeah, here there's a lot. Of, there's yeah, there's a lot of stigma around it here, um, primarily due to probably in a lot of cases religious objections to it and stuff yeah. like that. But um, there's there's like on the one hand we're like yeah crack a beer, and on the other hand we're like but that's bad, you know. So we're kind of we're, we're kind of bipolar about the whole thing in this country, which we're bipolar about a lot of things in this country. It's take a look at our political process right now and it, yeah you'll think we're all barking mad you know it's crazy but um we are we're barking i, I mean i'm honestly i'm looking i'm going you know i wonder how much money it would take for me to get across and stay across the border for a while you know but <laughs> i got a room yeah you you may find me in it after not very much longer it needs to be enough for me and my husband and five dogs though so you know just saying the dog's gonna be a problem oh, yeah Sorry. <laughs> but, uh, alcohol is nearly a religion for, for some people here in Australia, if they weren't having a beer, they're not a church kind of thing, you know. It's uh, to the point where we might have even the opposite side. We do have a bit of a, a problem with our alcohol and the drinking culture that we have. But that's that's changing as well for a positive. And I think mead will be a beverage that will unite people and yeah. fill that void and get them, you know, 
hanging out, making friends, mead, the drink that brings people together. Yeah, I like that. I like that. You should you should hurry up and copyright that before somebody else listens to the recording and does it before you. <laughs> yeah, I've met many a... Uh, do open source. Everything we do will be open sourced as well. I, uh, at home, you'd be in the clinic. What was that, Hamish? You're cutting in and out, dude. All right, I think I'm back. That um, area. Wait, We've had many in America say that um, if we were back home that uh, we'd be admitted into a clinic for rehab. It's about tolerance, <laughs> you know. It's about tolerance, you know. They get this certain l- level of it in your blood and you can handle more. You know? <laughs> and we really don't have a leg to stand on over-medicated as we are in so many other ways. So, you know... Uh, <laughs> Yeah, I was at a bar over there though, and uh, it had eighty-eight beers, and I couldn't believe that. And and that craft beer that you guys—I mean, you've got the population that we don't have, and you've got yeah. the, the population to support it, and the the guys trying new stuff. But eighty-eight beers, and I, I couldn't decide what to drink. So that I just was one the of the little ones. There's a place in <sighs> there's a. Did you go to the place in Davis? Was that when you were in Davis? Oh, I went to that. That might be the University of Beer in Davis. I yeah, went there. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's a cool spot. You guys have got some cool bars. This is a place called Ale Mary's uh, over in Oak, Oak, Royal Oak. Oh, I've heard Detroit, of Ale Mary's. I got friends that live down that way. I, I grew up in that state, so. But yeah, there's one in. Um, there's one called the Flying Saucer in Raleigh, and they've got like. <laughs> 375 beers and you get your name written on a plate and it gets hung on the wall if you manage to drink every single one of them. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, we've we've got a pub in uh, in Ottawa that has Not um, ones, course, over 100 no. beers. Wow. Yeah. All right, most oh, yeah. of them are we imports, of course, but So see you got to come yeah. back, Joel. Yeah. <laughs> I so have to come back. I mean, uh, I want to. I want to catch up with Ash Fishburn over at Sap House Meadery. He was a big one for me. That um, Ash is a good guy. Really made my life put into perspective with what he's doing. Seeing Blair over there as well. Um, you know, Christian David is setting up one in Colorado. I, I could be here all day. Ken at Maine, I think it was Maine Meadworks, is setting one up as well. So mm-hmm. yeah, you're right. If I had gone over and seen everything at once, it wouldn't have given me a reason to come back. This time though, I'm going to bring bring the family and bring Hunter and Harper, and maybe spend a bit more time. That'll be the the end goal over there. There you go. Well, and y'all get y'all get uh, you know uh, civilized holiday links, unlike. Unlike a lot mm-hmm. of companies here, so you get the opportunity to actually get away for a reasonable period of time, especially if you fly halfway around the world. Exactly, exactly. The only thing you've got to sort out is the bloody Aussie conversion rate that uh, that killed me <laughs> the dollar. Oh yeah, that's right. I forgot you guys are getting you guys are getting creamed on that right now. And yeah, it makes a couple of us. Yeah, well, that's okay. We're getting yeah. our we're getting our hats handed to us by the euro, so you know it all kind of works out. <laughs> <laughs> That trip to Europe I wanted for my 30th anniversary is so not going to happen. Not at a 30% difference. It's like, yeah, no, that's not. No. (laughs) Vicky, it's 75 cents to the dollar. 
Oh man, maybe I need to go to Australia. Go to Australia. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I've always wanted to. I mean, that was on my bucket list of places to go was visit Australia. And I'm, I'm talking to Hamish. This is hilarious. Hamish, Hamish, I'm sure is over here. He knows what I'm going to say. Uh, I was talking to Hamish a couple weeks ago, and I'm like, Yeah, man, I'd love to come down and visit you. That'd be really cool. I'm like, Could we go see Ayers Rock? And he's like, Dude. That's like 1,500 miles. And I'm like, oh. <laughs> <You know? laughs> I had no, I mean, you know, because I have no spatial references as far as where everything is. I know where, I know where Sydney is, and, and I kind of, now I know where Melbourne is, because that's where Hamish is. But, um, you know, I didn't really have the spatial references in it. So I, like, whipped out a map, and I'm like, oh. <laughs> oh, okay, I get it now. <laughs> that would be like asking me to say hi to your friend in BC. Yeah, right, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Same kind of thing. So I just wasn't thinking about it but it's just one of the places it's i don't know uh bryson uh an american author who uh writes travel bill Bill bryson yeah yeah, wrote a couple of awesome books about australia and i just enjoyed (laughs) them immensely and and there's like my my copy's all dog-eared and and highlighted of all the things i want to see you know that he talked about it's really only a two-day drive though it's (laughs) what was that it's really only a two-day drive we call it down the road <laughs> yeah, he's right. He's right. Uh, everything's just down the road, and uh, yeah, it could take a couple of hours, a couple of days. But uh, you'll have to come and check us out uh, at Wollongong, and um, it's one of those typical Australian names. It's named after. It's an Indigenous name. It's named after the Aboriginals, and. Uh-huh. Um, we're just south of Sydney there, so obviously Sydney being where you'd probably fly into, or Melbourne, down the Amish is where, that's where I grew up, actually. Yeah, but, I'd probably uh, fly into Melbourne since Hamish yeah, is Yep, yep, and then just a couple of, just, just down the road is us in Sydney, so it's come on about up. 600 miles, yeah, that's all right, that's cool. I, I, I mean, when I go to <laughs> conferences, I, I mean, I'm going to the craft brewing conference, or I hope I'm going to the craft brewing conference in May, and it's just down the road, well, it's just up the road, actually, in Philadelphia, about a 10, 12-hour drive, you know. Yeah, that's about right. Yeah, that's about, you know, I, do, I drive to New York City when I go up there, for people like you're going, you're driving to New York City for three days, and I'm going, yeah, why not? Yeah. Hey, if you can drive to New York City, you can come visit me. I probably could, yeah, I'm going to be up in northwestern Michigan this summer, so if I can figure out a way to do it, I might just come up and see you. All right. right. Got to renew my passport, though. So. Yeah. <laughs> oh, cool. Is Chris still on the line? Is Chris still there? Is he bailed? Hey, I'm still here. He's just being really quiet. Is right. Um, Blair's back there mate? somewhere how's, too. Oh, how's your um, R and D going over at Golden Coast? Have you got some new flight? When I was there, every day he's pulling out something new for me to try, and then every day I was just amazed that. He could do something like he does, and, and Chris needs big raps because the stuff that he's, he's making is just mind-blowingly great. So um, I'm, I'm following Golden Coast for life. I mean, now that you guys have got a new facility that you're working on and you have a dedicated lab room and stuff, I'm really looking forward to seeing what you guys can do over there, Chris. Me too. <laughs> <laughs> I, I gather that you know, what's your new What was that, Chris? So we've been so maxed out for space for so long that I'm still trying to get Frank to give me uh, barrels to age stuff in. We'll see if that happens. It'd <laughs> <laughs> be nice to have mead making yeah, space I'm, where I'm not tripping Chris over is, everything. Uh, I hear you. 
AJ is just pointing out to me that I thought this would be a shorter show because we didn't have a lot of the extra stuff that we used to do, and uh, no, it didn't work out that way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, Hamish and I were joking about uh, about taking over the show today, and it looks like we actually have Hamish. I'm good with that. <laughs> <laughs> Your accent's way more entertaining than mine. Oh, uh, Oh, that's just because you're used to it. <laughs> ah, no, nice. No. I don't know, Blair, where are you at, Blair? I've missed all this. I'll just probably listen up and, and listen to the feed again. But uh, are you far away from opening up? Well, not too far off. Uh, uh, like I said, I think we just need to sign our lease, which uh, hopefully will be here within the next uh, 20 to 30 days. Uh, file our paperwork and then just keep uh, keep trucking along. It's just if we can get TTB to uh, speed up a little of their process. So that that'll be the variant. But I really hope I'm open well before October because we got a huge festival coming into the city of Dahlonega where about two hundred thousand people will be coming in there for Gold Rush and wine tasting. Nice. Well, I would say if you haven't got your TTB paperwork in now, I would get it in ASAP because they're at about one hundred and twenty days. Last I heard. Mm. Yeah. So okay. that could change, but that's where they're at right this second. Yeah, they talked about it at UC Davis of hiring a 20 extra, I guess, agents to help speed the process up. But I said, what was your timeline? They said, over the next two years. Like, well, that's really not going to help me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. Everything, you know, come on, everything grinds slowly in the government. That's the way yeah. it works, you know. It's definitely not unique to the states either. Nah. No. Well, that's just government, I think, in general. Yeah. Any, any government works like that. They're too ponderous to move quickly. Bureaucracy but, uh, takes its time. Yeah, that's it. That's it. Same, same in Australia. There's no different with, with that government bodies. They, they're all slow. They're all okay. It's got to, yeah. If you're aware of it and be patient, I guess you can get through. But, yeah, yeah we're, we're, we're fighting more calls now. So, okay. We had a little crosstalk nice. there. Nice, man. Good. Well, I'll spend the time while I'm waiting to uh, do some more experimentation and uh, a few more things like that. Well, I'm looking to... I'm looking well, I'll be following to... you. Go ahead. No, I was just probably going to say the same as you, Vicky. I'll be following Blair at Edouard, Edouard, however we pronounce it. I'm sorry, but um, with these transgressions. And, and I wish you all the very best, mate. I, I can't wait to get some of your product and maybe just ship some over to Australia as vinegar. I don't know how that works. We'll work on that. You yeah, maybe I, could, maybe I could just hand carry some over there. There you go. <laughs> they say flights no, are pretty place, reasonable mate. right now. So... You've got a yeah. limit to 2.25 litres to bring into the country. Yeah, that's about that's about what they try to do coming into the States, too. So, I, You know, it's funny, funny story. When I was in Britain, uh, I was coming back, and I was literally lugging, like, close to two cases of mead with me. I had a buddy who was a distributor, so he basically got me, like, one of everything from, you know, like, all over Western Europe. And, nice. yeah, I mean, I had some amazing stuff. And so I've got, it's, like, stuffed in my suitcase, it's in my tote bag, and then I've got a case of it. And we get to the airport, and I'm, like, literally kicking a case down the hallway because some dingbat didn't think to put carts at the end of the super long hallway before you actually get to customs from between <laughs> the plane and customs. So everybody's, like, lugging all their crap, you know, to try to get to where the carts are. 
And um, so I'm kind of shoving it down, and then before we get there, they pull out the ag dogs that come and sniff you up and ask you, did you eat beef in Britain because, you know, mad cow disease, and did you bring any plants with you, and all the questions they ask you about bringing in forbidden agricultural products. And he sees me kicking his case down the hall, and he's like, what you got there? And I said, mead. And he says, what's that? And I said, it's kind of a low-alcohol wine. And he's like, okay, go on. I didn't have to nice. pay. I did not have to pay duty. I did not have to get rid of any. I just, I just chucked right on through. He was like, "Okay, grape juice, off you go." You know, I was like, <laughs> <laughs> "Well, it's less paperwork for him, right?" Right, it's something. Yeah, I wasn't going to correct him. <laughs> so, you know, uh, honey water. I, yeah, yeah, I'm sure since then they've learned. You know, but at the time it was a nice, it was a nice save because the duty would have cost me probably close to a hundred bucks. You know, yeah. I had like twenty, thirty bottles of mead with me. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, literally, my mead weighed more than all of my luggage, and I had been in Britain for two weeks. <laughs> yeah, I had to pay a $100 fee when I was flying back from uh, California to Atlanta for the overweight fee. Yeah, yeah, I've got nailed for that one a few times. I finally just sucked it up, and um, if you go to the just as a little tip from somebody who helped found the Mazer Cup so I know all the behind-the-scenes stuff, um, if you want to bring mead back, um, you can... Uh, you can um, ask them to fetch you a box, you know, so like if you've been out like shopping or whatever and you've got me to take back or whatever, um, there's always a gazillion boxes back in the room where they are, you know, put where they've stashed the mead for the, for the um, competition and nice. for the show, the leftover stuff. So, you know, and that all comes in boxes from all over everywhere. So the boxes are all stuffed up under the tables. So for the people who are, you know, because we pay the minions in mead, right, um, yes. <laughs> they, yeah, I mean, if you work the show, you come away with me. It's pretty much guaranteed, and um, and it's really cool because they, um, you know, you can get that box, and these are all those nice styrofoam. They're mead shippers. They're wine shipping boxes, so they're set up Perfect. for that. Yeah, so I would basically just load up a wine shipper and then stuff the rest of the holes with whatever, because I would have like a t-shirt and extra things that basically put my bag at or above weight. So I just offload everything out of my bag that uh, I could to get it underweight and stuff it all on the excess holes and then seal that up and, and either ship it home UPS or um, depending on the cost, I would then, you know, I would maybe just take it on the airline with me and pay the extra 40 bucks or whatever. Nice. You know. Mm. Yeah, the lag yeah. is a problem, Hamish. Sorry. When I come back, when I come back from the States, I, only, I didn't even bring two, two liters of mead back and uh, I wanted to bring so much more and then I didn't want to have to pay duty like you were talking about. And then we got to here and straight through customs, no issue, nobody checks your bag. And we, I could have literally brought back boxes of it. And I wish I had it now. <laughs> yeah, well, all you have to do, you only have to declare it if it's more than two litres. It doesn't mean they're going to charge you um, charge you excise on it. So if you can like say that it's homebrew and it's actually not worth anything, they, they won't charge you anyway. No. So it's it's just more paperwork and more more fast hustle. Actually, here mm. uh, going from Canada to the states, they are supposed to um, charge you a little bit per bottle of homebrew, as we oh. found out. But when because uh, for the uh, the chocolate uh, mead group brew, uh, I sent a dozen bottles home with. Um, Aaron, one of the other Got Mead members, and uh, he found out at the border that they, you know, they were going to charge him something like thirty cents a bottle or something like that. <laughs> but then they, I guess, it wasn't worth the paperwork for them. Hmm. But that's going from Ontario to uh, New York. 
but I think it's different. Yeah, I think it's different every uh, every place, but like it wasn't going to be much. Yeah. So probably to them it wasn't worth the it wasn't worth the effort. But I mean, even homebrew can be subject to you know fees. Yeah. yeah. Uh, well, it I also remember as a miner bringing in thirty six bottles of beer um, <laughs> from uh, from Southeast Asia for my dad to try, and they didn't charge mm. anything for that. Nice <laughs> man. <laughs> As a minor, hey, uh, of course. Well, and a lot of it depends on the uh, agent at the border too, or at the at the uh, customs crossing. Because you know, if he's just in a crappy mood because you know things, yeah. then uh, he's <laughs> going to take it out on people. And and you know, because there's there's guys shoot. There's you can just whiz through the border to Canada from here, or you can get the crossing where the guy didn't get none last night, and he's, and he's have- crabby and taking it out on everyone because uh-huh. he can't. Yeah, he gets you out of your car and strip searches you, and they take your car apart and leave it in the side road, and then they, you have to figure out what to do from the. I mean, and they can do that. Mm. You know. Yeah, they 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 have the jurisdiction. They are allowed to do such things. Yeah, they don't have to have a reason. They can just they can just screw up your entire life, and and you know, and then and then flip you off and walk away, and there's nothing you can do. And charge you to take the pieces of your car away. Yeah. 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 We have no road borders. It makes it easier. Yeah, well, <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's true. It is. It kind of helps that there's no countries on the other side of your roads, right? <laughs> yeah, it does. But guys, I might have to get going. Hunter and Harper are just starting to rev up here, so um, I might have to sign out. Um, thanks for having me, and great talking to everyone. And good to hear your voice, Blair and and. Chris and Frank, and nice speaking to you, Hamish and Vicky. And, nice meeting and, you. Uh, no worries, guys. Take nice care, and I'll listen in next week. Thanks for coming in. Cheers, guys. Yeah, yeah, probably getting on time that we wind this thing up and let uh, the re- you know let people get on to uh, the rest of their lives. So, um, <laughs> yeah, Blair, thank you for coming on, for sticking around, even though um, you. Uh, we're kind of quiet, but uh, I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, we certainly did. didn't give you much of an opportunity to get a word in edgewise. <laughs> uh, had a great time. Thank you for having me. Oh, no, it was good Thank having you, you here, and I'm sure we'll have you back. You know, I mean, there's going to be a lot of this stuff going on, and um, AJ and I got to sit down and work out the list of upcomings and, and all the stuff we want to do, and she's suggesting to be in the feed. She's going, you know, we could do this and broadcast live at the Mazer Cup, and we can because, hey, this software that we're using, it runs in the cloud. It runs on my tablet. <laughs> you now I really need to get a passport. Uh-huh. Yeah, we can literally <laughs> plug in a, a headset and a tablet, and we can run a radio show from wherever we're at. So, yeah, no worries. Uh, yeah, I'm tickled to death. So this is this is a big find for me because I didn't even know this stuff existed three weeks ago. And I've, AJ could tell you that I've been like frantically studying manuals and taking things apart and putting them back together again, and beating her head against the machinery. Oh my god! Yeah, software. Getting her online and then and then bitching for like 45 minutes when I couldn't make all the links work the way I wanted them to. And, and it would be like, first I could hear me and not her, and then I could hear her and not me. And then it was like, oh my God. Yeah, that was 8 o'clock this night. Tonight, this I night. was actually like 8.30. <laughs> Why is it working? Both of us on at the same time. Oh my God. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, um, the, yeah, we're, 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 we're going to be doing some fine-tuning as we go, but I think we've got a good thing pulled together here. Now I've just got to get the uh, signal up, and I've got some ideas about that because I'm getting feed p- 
people coming in on the tweet going, yeah, it's kind of not good. So um, the live feed was maybe not so hot. And for that, guys, anybody, if you can actually hear me out there, we apologize. Uh, we were working on it. Um, I've got some ideas about that part of this problem is because I have a crap connection because I live in the boonies. So um, we'll work on that and we'll see if we can't come up with something better. But in the meantime, I want to thank uh, Blair for coming on and interviewing with us and Chris for sticking it out, even though I know he's got to get up and drive halfway across, uh, halfway up the uh, country tomorrow. And uh, Totally to be, worth it. Yeah, totally <laughs> worth it. And uh, you have my jealousy, okay? I'm just saying. And Hamish for calling in from the other side of the world in the middle of the night. And... Uh, <laughs> No, no, it's the middle it? of the day for him. No, it's the middle of the day for him yeah. now. Yeah, Vicky, that's right. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm sorry. Uh, yeah, no. Joel said something about us. it was one o'clock, and I'm thinking in the morning for some reason. Um, so never mind. Uh, but anyway, <laughs> thank you all, and uh, you know, as always, you're welcome to come on anytime and hang and chat and you know make things more interesting. So thank you, appreciate it. All right, thank you. Thank you, everybody. So, all right. So, um, all right, listeners, if anybody can hear this, uh, <laughs> next week uh, is, uh, well, upcoming, first of all, upcoming we have the Mazer Cup, which is this week, actually, March 18th and 19th in Broomfield, Colorado, mazercup.com. Entries are obviously closed, but if you are anywhere in the vicinity of uh, Broomfield, Colorado, which is between Denver and Boulder, they are having Friday night is the uh, Mead Mixer, and tickets are still available for the Mead Mixer. So go to MazerCup.com and get your tickets now and, um, you know, get in there. And there's, like, dozens of meads paired with amazing food, and it's, like, curated food with the mead. It's really, really awesome, and it's a really fun time. So go check it out. And... Um, <laughs> We got the feed going on here, and I'm just laughing because these guys are typing at each other. Um, next week's guest is a surprise because I still haven't figured out all the schedule yet, so bear with me. I'm going to be lining up, folks, and we'll make some announcements on the upcoming guests later in the week after AJ and I have a chance to talk. So uh, thank you, and uh, appreciate everybody listening to Got Me Live, and we'll talk with you soon. And uh, say goodnight, AJ. Good night, AJ. All right. <laughs> night, all. <laughs> <laughs>